0: <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> Good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. Welcome to the Knights of the Underground Table podcast. I am your host, John Garcia. Joining me tonight is, uh, as always, Ryan King.
2: John, today's your day to dominate podcasts. You're in your sexual prime. You're the top of the reproductive pile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why, thank you, bro <laughs> And that laugh you heard is, of course, Michael Dixon.
3: What's course. up? Unionize your workplace. <laughs> Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> um,. And tonight we were talking about a film that I picked, uh, a film that I saw in theaters and was perplexed by because I went in with the wrong expectations. (laughs) Uh, I was surprisingly delighted by it, and I had to go and revisit it and uh, loved it in theaters, love it on Blu-ray, one of the other movies that I own that I will watch again and again. Uh, And I recently surprised my my, uh, cousin with it when he was in town for a visit. He was just like, yeah, just throw whatever movie on. And I was like, all right, man, (laughs) we're doing it. (laughs) Don't tempt me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I got some weird shit in here. <laughs> it's Sorry to Bother You, the 2018 film written and directed by Boots Riley, starring Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Stephen Yun. Uh, it's got a bunch Armie of other Hammer. names. Army Hammer. There's a lot. It's a star-studded affair. Um, and for a movie that has such a ludicrous premise, I'm so happy that it is a star-studded thing. I, I would think <laughs> normally when you think of a movie that has a lot of uh, star power behind it, Um, You think of something like movie 43. Uh, Not really, but you you just think "Eh, that might be a little. Nobody's really thinking of that one. No (laughs) one's thinking of that. Um, But I typically think like "Eh, they might be trying to compensate for something with this much star power. Uh, But it's not the case for this movie, in my opinion.
3: David Cross, Um, Patton Oswalt.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And so uh, I'll give you the quick synopsis for it. Um, Sorry to bother you is the story of Cassius Green who is uh, a man in kind of his, his 30s uh, who's trying to figure out his life. He's having an existential crisis. Um, when he gets a job at a call center just to get some money so he can pay his bills, uh, he, he quickly starts to climb the ranks in the call center when he discovers uh, the power of using a white voice, of code switching, effectively. Um, and it, it leads to kind of his rise and fall Uh, within that company, um, all kind of spurred on by uh, a unionizing movement within it. Um, and and it has a bunch of really random, not random, but really weird plot twists to it that make it all, all the more fun. Um, and a lot of really creative, surrealistic imagery and elements that, uh, weave together this kind of fantastical experience as you're following somebody through like a call center, uh, basically in in their job there.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um,
1: so, yeah, I, I mean, you can already tell by the way that I'm talking about it. I love this movie. Uh, I, I will get into it as we talk more about it, but I would like to hear y'all's thoughts, so I'll kick it over to Ryan.
2: Yeah, this is also one I, I saw in the theater when it first came out. At the time, uh, Lakeith Stanfield was on Atlanta. I guess Atlanta's still going, and I, was, yeah. I, I liked him in that and just sort of saw some trailers and was like... Right. He's in Short Term 12, which is really Yeah, great. which I keep wanting to watch. Yeah, that, I haven't watched. that yeah. was like
3: one of his early... He was in the short film... And then the feature film, and then that kind of kicked it off his career a little bit from there.
2: Yeah, Short Term 12 is made up of a bunch of stuff I would like, and I haven't watched it.
3: Yeah, (laughs) it's (laughs) It's very good. Sounds like me, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, And then, yeah, I think I had someone tell me, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to go watch this. Um, And so I went and watched it, and yeah, at the beginning of it, I'm, like, really digging the movie. It has this really interesting, like, style and tone, and it's generally funny with sort of some cutting undertone to it and then it like kind of twists at a point where you're just like whoa what are we doing now (laughs) yeah and then it kind of keeps going for a little bit you're 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 kind of like caught in this like i don't know i don't know what at the end um but i I really afterwards it's a movie that i continued to think about and like still continue to think about watching it again now there was a bunch of stuff i was like oh i don't even i forgot about this i forgot about this like i was just loving it uh, again, all the way through, and able to have an eye for more of just what's going on around. This is a movie where it's like there's a lot of stuff behind what's going on that you can kind of see and catch, and it gives you the glimpses enough for you to feel it when you're watching it. But if you really take the time to dig and look at all that other stuff on the sidelines, like you just have a good time finding finding stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was I I love it, loved it. Then this one I got to show to my wife this time. I wanted to see her. Okay. and hear her feelings about it. Um, yeah, because I kind of knew, I was like, this will be interesting. This That's is one great. of those movies where she'll kind of get drawn in and be like, what the hell is going <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> on? Um, she kind of, right after we finished, I was like, all right, initial thoughts. She's like, I have to think about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she did, she had to she's process. like, I have to think about it. I have to process. And then a little bit later, she was like, yeah, it it said a bunch of stuff. Like, it was really, she was like, it was very interesting. It was very different. Like, the whole thing, everything was, like, constantly different. And I was like, yeah, how about those twists? And she was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes sense, like right, and it was like, yeah, it does. It makes sense, like in the mm-hmm. movie, it makes sense. Um, she's like, it kind of surprised me, but then it was like, all right, well, I guess that I could see that happening, like honestly. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I asked her this morning. She's same thing. She like, it was like anything changed. She's like, Nah, it was fine. It was good. Like it was definitely weird, but good. Wow,
1: I got I got a. It was fine. It was good. It was weird, but good uh, from Darla. That's a commendation. Yeah, that's a, that's. A, yeah,
2: she didn't <laughs> compare yeah, I feel it like to that's any. that's the most
3: glowing review we've
2: gotten <laughs> from Darla on any movie we've watched. Yeah, she didn't compare podcast. it. She didn't compare it to anything we watched before. So that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it makes it.
3: Yeah, uh, I I really like this movie. Um, I saw this in theaters in 2018. At the time, I worked at a call center in the back office Ooh. and with some friends went to see this um, who also worked in the back office nobody who actually worked on the floor calling but we went to see her like oh yeah this is like we see this type of culture on the other side of the office all the time with this like juvenile motivational tactics and stupid stuff <laughs> slogans like stick to the script it's funny to me that like they came up with an acronym that you can't actually say you know like, right us it's just it's a very funny parody of what that culture is actually like and seeing that like that's why I wanted to go see is like oh this looks really interesting and and kind of poking fun at this culture that I see every day at the office and watching it with my friends and, and seeing that and then the twist hits and you're like holy shit what the fuck is going on this is awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we all we all loved it at the theater some more than I think some people were more shocked and kind of you know un- unsure of how to respond to that but um, yeah I think it's really interesting that we watched this right after Dr. Strangelove. It's like they're both satires and kind of set things up by seeming, kind of realistic at the start and then getting more absurd as they go on. Sorry to bother you much more so than, than Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Strangelove keeps itself within the confines of something that might, or you could argue, is very likely to happen at some point. And so it feels more upsetting, I think. Um, Sorry to bother you is, you know, an absurdist satire that is commenting on how big companies view their workforces through the lens of, you know, actually turning them into animals rather than treating them as animals, you know, and it's like a lot of companies today, treat their workers like livestock, they, you know, kind of run them through assembly lines and, and don't give them a lot of autonomy, don't allow them to organize and negotiate, um, you know, their, their working conditions. And I think the lens that this movie uses to analyze that is is really interesting. Love the cast in this movie. I think everybody is great in it. Tessa Thompson's character is Amazing. Um, Army Hammer's character is amazing. Um, the more we learn about Army Hammer, the maybe the less acting he's actually doing in this movie. Um, you know, with his alleged uh assault and cannibalistic tendencies and you know, whatnot that Army Hammer is being accused of. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think this movie is pretty fantastic. It's super fun, it's a hell of a ride start to finish. Um, it's just um, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty great. So,
1: yeah. Uh, so with that, I mean, we can just dive right in. Um, I have broken up the movie into three acts as I am tend to do. Uh, act one, I call Cash's new calling. Um, and it, we, we kind of start uh, opening on um, Cash, Cash's screen in his interview uh, for his new call center job where he has, he has forged all of his references. Uh, and, and made a trophy. Made a trophy, yeah, yeah an employee of the month plaque. Uh, I, I well. always
3: bring trophies to my job interviews. I don't know about it's you like Over-the-top
1: uh. requirements to qualify himself. Um, to make sure he gets the job and he he's uh I, I was I was trying to look up the actor who plays the guy interviewing him who becomes like that floor manager not Stephen Root it's not Stephen yeah. yeah I <laughs> thought it was Stephen Root and then I was like it's not Stephen Root I've no. seen him in other things we should just um, call him not, not Stephen Root not yeah. Stephen yeah. Root so not, not Steven Russell Crowe yeah <laughs> And that guy does a phenomenal job of just being a grizzled like manager who's got this like, I don't give a fuck what you do. I just want you to stuss. You got to stick to the script. I
3: love how he calls out his bullshit right away. It's like, you clearly forged all that shit. All your references were bad. The phone number was to your buddy who works here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And he's like, look, I don't care about any of this. This is a call center. We'll hire literally anyone. And they do call centers just hire literally yeah. whoever, oh, yeah. whoever has a pulse, they bring them in and like that job is. Designed to manage people out, like top performers will stay because they're making commission, and people who aren't making commission will just quit and go find something else because you can't make any money in in that job unless you're getting paid commission. But I love how he's like, you know, you know what this tells me? This forged trophy. You have initiative and you can read. Yeah. That's all I <laughs> care about. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Just, just already off to the races with like these great jokes, uh, like one liners that just demonstrate Mm -hmm. kind of the mentality behind a lot of the the infrastructure in here. Um, And we, we kind of get, you know, cash celebrates and he's having a whole moment. Uh, And then we kind of cut to, we cut to him in his home uh, in his, his room with Detroit and they're having a very intimate moment. Um, We get this sense that, Cash is going through an existential crisis as he talks about the sun might explode Every, everyone dying and everybody might yeah. die and that everything that you're doing doesn't mean anything and he's effectively just in like a pit of nihilism and he's in his to, first year of college yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and and Detroit's trying to talk him down um, this is where we get the first glimpse of kind of their relationship and that Detroit is his rock um, Detroit does bring him down to ground level uh, when he's high up in the clouds thinking about these things as she explains I, I kiss you. I don't kiss you for posterity. I kiss you because I'm in the moment. I want to enjoy this. And Cash just can't get out of his head, uh, so Detroit kind of escalates things, and they're about to have sex. And the garage door just like opens, and we reveal he's he's just a, he's been in a garage all along. Yeah. <laughs> he lives in this place. He doesn't live in like an apartment somewhere or any of that. This is kind of the the residency he's in. Um, and we get a uh, a euphemism too that covers up bit of, a bit of a joke in the future, um, where he says like my landlord didn't fix the garage. My landlord didn't fix these things. Um, and like the next scene is him about to go to work. And he gets yelled at by his landlord, Terry Cruz, who turns out to be his uncle, as uh, Cash tries to grandstand and talk about how the world belongs to everybody and greedy people like you want it. Put uh, themselves in their family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah themselves in their family. And uh, Terry Cruz is just like, Cash, I'm your fucking uncle. Like, <laughs> it's just a great kind of subversion immediately where uh, I, I've had a tendency to want to do those kinds of things or like uh, you get that feeling of like wanting to just grandstand at some point when you're mad or frustrated and you know that you could absolutely be smacked down by somebody else putting some realism on it. Um, but yeah, just, just, uh, a good interaction and i, I love seeing terry cruz and things i'm just like yeah, yeah sure Come terry on. cruz get yeah people here. why not i
3: saw a, a special feature with boots riley talking about terry cruz and he was like yeah i was trying to get him to join i sat down and talked to them for two hours and i left that meeting feeling like i could go conquer the world and
2: start <laughs> a pyramid scheme <laughs> <laughs> oh man um i like so this yeah. is yeah Colonel. right here you start to see that the movie from a satirical point just it's taking everything that is happening and just really is turning up like every step of the way Mm -hmm.
3: like at first in subtle ways yeah it's yeah
2: yeah, it's sort of subtle but it's that like Terry Crews can't even make his house payment even renting out a room quote-unquote but it's a garage because he's just so far over like you can't get a good place to rent like houses are too expensive you can't get a place to rent like these problems have only gotten worse since this movie came Uh, out right that you're like living in a garage you know at, at your uncle's or whatever and he can't make it you're buying gas for cents just to keep going in. Yeah, what's it was like put car- forty on two, and he throws forty cents, <laughs> cents at yeah, the yeah. gas station attendant. Yeah, exactly. And then like, yeah, he'll take. He needs a job so bad, he's faking absolutely everything to take the shittiest possible job. And we see other people who are working like Detroit, two, three jobs, a bunch of side jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then just like piles of homeless people as they go by yeah like, everything that is stuff like turned is up. it's like super realistic it's realistic yeah. it's just all turned up enough to be like okay it's not that's not exactly what's happening but it's not so far to be like we couldn't get there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, it it definitely like it approaches a certain point and then you're able to make the rest of the journey yourself and be like, okay, I understand where this is going uh, conceptually with a lot of the things that are put in it. And it it even has, you know, cash saying that, uh, you know, this, this land is you just greedy people like you want it for you and your family. It, it highlights that um, you know, the conditions and the pressure of the conditions in that particular market in the world are, are so dire that you turn against the closest person to you to kind of try to put blame somewhere because it's just like the closest point for you to vent to. Uh, Cause everything else is just like, yeah, I, I'm just supposed to fit into this system somehow. If the system isn't working for me. It's because of, of you right across the table from me or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we get uh, Cash. We also find out Cash is borrowing a car from his uncle. The car is not great. Not in great shape. That is also an accentuated, like, that car is barely alive. I love the windshield wipers. Get, yeah, the yeah. windshield wipers, broken windshield wipers. That They've got left. a rope
3: on each wiper, and they have to just, have the driver and the passenger, have to stick their hands out and pull the rope as the car so, is driving. It's so
1: yeah, you can tell so it funny. does
3: nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah
2: it's just uh-huh. doing nothing.
1: Um. Yeah, we passed our first kind of billboard too. Uh, as Cash is on his way, first day on the job, kind of on the way to work. Uh, it says if it's like a worry-free poster, and it has a family in these um, sanitized kind of garb, and they're all standing with like some some bunk bed, or they're hugging on a couch. I don't remember. It just says like, if you lived here, you'd be at work already. <laughs> 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 and it's it's one of those things where like that's a billboard that you would probably see. Uh, it reminds me of like the, the Pepsi ad that ran with like Kendall Jenner. I think that was, oh, yeah. was. Oh. like that kind of thing where
3: it's like that really reminded <laughs> the, the whole like Coke thing that they did with uh, oh, yeah. hiring the protester to do a commercial was very Kendall Jenner. and Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um So we get to, we get to work uh, with Cash and we're immediately introduced to one of the floor managers. He's a guy who uh, reminds me of, I think Stephen Ogg is the actor's name, who plays Trevor in Grand Theft Auto V. Just like an unhinged dude uh, (laughs) who's like telling him like millions of dollars went into these walls to make sure calls can go in and out without jamming the lines. And just highlighting like all the money that's been poured in to this basement where they've uh, put a bunch of people to just constantly be on the phone, um, and they and we get kicked into the Hal Jameson myth. We get introduced to that, yeah. where there's a series of escalating plaques of a man's achievements, as Hal oh, Jameson man. goes from like I guess an author to meeting the president to being with so a bunch of like boobs in his yeah, face, boobs yeah, boobs in his face <laughs> at, at a strip club or something. <laughs> Uh, and, and he's, yeah, he's the power caller, basically power caller rank. And you're getting fed that kind of corporatist myth of like, you could be there too. If you really want to look at the, the ladder <laughs> of imagery that climbs to it.
3: Uh, um, I love the, uh, that manager character, I think is so spot on for a call center manager. Like they don't do anything, right. It's just like people are on the phones all day and the manager just stands there and it's like, call like I reminds me of the <laughs> simpsons movie when homer is like mushing the wolves at, when they're asleep you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. mush, yeah. mush. And, like okay what are you doing you're just standing it's like they're just babysitters um they don't really provide value like the people actually making the phones are the ones generating the revenue and all you have to do to be a manager is to just like show up on time every day and then like yell at the people who Mm, are calling good enough (laughs) you know it's just (laughs) call harder (laughs) it's a very condescending job to have because these companies treat their call center employees like children and it's very it's incredibly strict with when you're there when you leave and like the manager is always breathing down your neck making sure that you're always on the phone all the time and like there's no there's no freedom allowed in the job at all. And I thought they did a really good job of, of illustrating that and just the depressing environment of that room. It's just, there's no windows. Yep. The, oh, yeah. like, the place is old. Like the paint is, is yeah. like really shitty. And there's just these little tight cubicles that they're all packed into. And they just got to hit those phones as hard as they can for as many hours as they have to be there.
1: Yeah. Just fluorescent lighting right above, uh, mm-hmm. the, the that glow. Yeah. It, That seeing that reminds me of like office space and like all these other kind of uh, cubicle farm sort of like um, Mm. spectacle in my mind. It's just like, I don't want to work in a place like that. That (laughs) immediately looks so suffocating. Um, Something is going wrong with the copier in the background. Yes, that was that was the thing I was going to mention. <laughs> no, As there's that count. visual, we get our, our another visual gag of the copier just going crazy and it's escalating over time. Like first, it starts out with like one dude having a problem while Cash is getting all the rules uh, laid out for him. And every time it cuts back to Cash in the background, there's like one more dude in that room, and there's just papers <laughs> <More> progressively aggressively paper. <laughs> flying until they're just like, the copier like, like in making it direction. Direction. rain at the
3: strip It's
1: so good. Um, and, and this is where we get our, you know, first day on the job. We, we also get a, uh, a glimpse into how we're going to see phone calls happen between cash and any of the people that he's trying to talk to. And even cash is thrown off by it. Um, it's one of those things where I think that the movie steps out of itself for a second, just to show you like, this is what mentally is going on for cash. This connects Mm -hmm. you with that, uh, with the rest of the, the metaphor for it. Um, and so he like the whole table starts shaking and he's like, what the fuck? And then it immediately drops him into talking to a guy who hangs up on him because he tries yeah. to start to bother you talking to a woman who's having sex with some guy, uh, and doesn't have time to hear about that. And, and he finally is like, oh, I need to remember to stick to the script. I should read the formula that's been given to me <laughs> that says, be their friend." Um, and he gets that, he gets that third call to a woman who is going through a hell of a crisis as her husband just has brutal, <laughs> yeah, like stage four cancer and is dying. And he's like, well, I have to be their friend. And he immediately is just trying to turn around this grave conversation it's so dehumanizing to watch it happen but one of the
3: points that. on the script is like turn every crisis into an opportunity, it, into an opportunity. yeah and yeah. then she's like he's like oh funny you should say that your husband's in the hospital because this book series actually deals with uh, how to stay healthy on your own without going to the doctor and then, <laughs>
2: yeah. oh my god dude yeah <laughs> it's just oh man it's just brutal a little piece of your soul has to cut away for the company yeah 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 um it made me think have you ever watched boiler room you know that movie i
3: I know of the movie i haven't seen it yeah which is
2: like the first before wolf of wall street right yeah um but yeah they sort of early on the the main guy it's kind of the other way around where a telemarketer calls him and is trying to sell him a paper and he tells him like this is what you're supposed to do like say it like this get me interested in this like all that kind of stuff hypes up the guy and the guy's like, oh, okay, okay. And he's like, so you gonna buy one? And he's like, no, nah, I already get the times. And he's just like hangs up yeah. on him. <laughs> but same thing, that one does a lot in in of like how to make these sales phone calls and prey on people like mm-hmm. in their time of need. Yeah. Um
3: Yeah, Wolf Wolf Wall Street does a lot of that too. Yeah. I
1: was it was actually like while I was watching this, I was like, Wolf of Wall Street would be a really cool pairing to to watch this back to back with just to get kind of these different angles of this exploitation yeah uh, like a, a view of why
3: how fucked the economy is from the top and from the yeah. middle bottom yeah yeah, yeah. Wolf of
2: wall street also has about the same like pace of this like it's a little over the top too like mm. yeah. in your face yeah
1: dips into that ex- absurdism and that indulgence um Yeah. And so we after Cash has those three kind of failed calls, um, we cut to him. We get a nice cut actually, where he just looks over to his buddy Sal and he's like, you seriously going to shove all those fucking fries in your mouth? And it just cuts immediately to the next scene where (laughs) Sal is shoving fries in his mouth, but they're at a bar now. So Sal (laughs) apparently did this twice in one day. Uh, and cash is like, I feel like a a fucking failure. Um, I don't know. He's just kind of moaning about it, uh, and feeling demoralized about the work that he had to do. And Sal interrupts him. This is where like, I love that Boots Riley packs this movie full of these little nuggets of commentary that don't have to deal with like the main streamline part of it. But Sal just goes, Oh shit, it's that dude from that show and just looks at this guy getting to a VIP room and cash is like, Oh shit. I hate that show.
0: <laughs> um, and it's just that
1: kind of moment of like you bond over pop culture because it's just so prevalent that at some point or another, you're like, Oh, it is that celebrity. Like I recognize that person, but to you it might be completely empty and hollow and to other people they're like, Oh wow. That's amazing. Um, and cash decides like, I want to go to that VIP room that that guy's going to, where we find out the password is upscale elegance, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, this week and, and every, every week. week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: i love the portrayal of that room because he goes into the vip room thinking it's going to be this badass thing and it's fucking awful there's a million people jammed into this tiny room with music blaring he tries to sit down he can barely like squeeze onto this bench and like somebody backs into him and spills his beer all over him and then he like walks back out and sal's like so how was it he goes dude that was dope yeah that's a <laughs> yeah, <yeah>, shit a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit <laughs> like what yeah you hated that
1: It's great it's just to get that status that bragging right you get to go in there to the vip room
2: Uh, (laughs) um in what appears to just be like a dive bar that they keep going back to yeah Yeah, like
1: yeah i love that the locations here just kind of expand slowly over time to reveal more like the the call center uh we don't get to see the golden elevator for a while um i think it's mm. it's not until like the protest day or the the day they're going to organize he the movement sees it the see first it? I, I
2: think, think the first day he's he 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 like what the hell is that yeah he yeah. sees it and then he goes just kind of goes by and then i think it's like each sup- it, like builds mystique goes goes as it goes yeah he sees it more stares at it longer yeah yeah
1: yeah um and so we get uh we could do a second J on the job um after he's been to the that baller shit in the vip room <laughs> uh he's He's having a hard time still like swinging a miss on all of his calls. And that's when Danny Glover decides to teach him the secret of switching to his white voice, um, to, to talk easy and breezy. Like, I don't really need this fucking money. Like you just got to sound like you got all your bills paid and you're about to hop in your Ferrari and drive off after this call. Um, and I, I loved the one line where uh, Danny Glover says, yeah, like, you've never been fired, only laid off. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just like these good little bits. <laughs> uh, um, and so Cassius starts to kind of nail the voice, which I believe it's David Cross, right? Yeah, that does yeah his David dumb. Cross's voice, yeah.
2: Um, which is great. It's like, a, yeah. yeah, David it's, Cross. It's him great.
3: doing an exaggerated, extra-white-sounding voice. Too. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, so we kind of get him... He's, he's learning how to tune into that. He hasn't tried it yet. We don't really see him do it because we cut to the motivational speech the company is trying to, like, rally to get oh more God. of the performance. And you get to see the different floor manager styles, which is, uh, like, both hit pretty close to home, as, mm-hmm. as I can imagine. Um, which, of course, you get the Stephen Ogg dude who is, like, got to know when to bag it and when to tag it. <laughs> bag it is when you drop that motherfucker, like, t- a dead body because they crossed the line. <laughs> and tag it is when you're putting the tag on that toe, marking that dead body because it's fucking mine.
3: <laughs> it. Everybody's like, what the f- yeah, talking just, about? yeah. So and then the, like boarded. the head managers like yeah I think let's just like not say these metaphors yeah, we, anyway. we these lost. are not landing <laughs> we need <to> move on <laughs>
1: yeah and, and it's kind of that old there's that uh in my mind that is kind of like the old versus the new methodology of of these like euphemisms and metaphors coming into play because that reminds me of like shit i've heard from from people in like the boomer generation where they're like yeah my boss would just say this shit to me and you're like well that's fucked up
2: that sounds like a really (laughs)
1: fucked up boss and they're like no that just was work uh and then you get uh this next character diana Debo Sherry, um, Debo Sherry, which is spelled debauchery. Yeah, which <laughs> someone
3: immediately calls yeah. out and he's like, "It looks like debauchery," and she goes, "Well, it's not." And yeah, she just yeah. Moves on. I like how
2: she writes her name on the board like it's a kindergarten class. Yes, <laughs> yeah. My name is Diana,
1: and she she does the, she presents the corporate family facade where she's like, you know, I know that you see me coming in here and we're gonna be going to a new boss and blah blah. She's doing like the tone to show that hey, I'm in on she's it. like I doing know baby talk. Yeah, so st- yeah. I, I know that you hate this job, and it's trying to like basically buddy up to everybody. Um, and she's throwing a bunch of buzzwords at one point. She just starts to try to overwhelm everybody by being like, Uh, what is capital? You know, social would be argued as capital at one point, and like, duh, 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 like throwing it all out. And at one the yeah, time, cash
2: is like, Does this media, mean
1: we're gonna yeah. get paid
3: more? And she's <laughs> like, Well, you know, social capital is more valuable, yeah. Blah, blah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so we, we kind of get that glimpse of like, yeah, she's the softer manager, but she still has the exact same intent and goal and like her words are just as hollow. Uh, and they're like, they're, they're just dodgier than the bag it and tag it talk. <laughs> it's, um, but we get uh, from that, we get introduced to Steven Yoon's character squeeze who's just started. He's in the crowd kind of watching as cash asks if they're going to get more money because they're family now. Um, and, uh, squeeze goes and grabs like a coffee as cash tries to roll up and get one for free, but it's a pay for everything on this floor kind of situation. Uh, they have, a and I
3: worked that did have free sodas, so oh, at wow. least there was that free sodas and free coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Not free snacks. No. Ah, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Actually, the there, big there was a
3: snack budget. There was a snack market, and you got a card with twenty dollars on oh it, and God. you could like <laughs> buy snacks up to twenty bucks with your snack budget, and then you had to pay for it after that.
1: Oh, there you go, twenty dollars uh, a week, everybody.
3: You. It was like stocked by Aramark, and there was yeah. just overpriced. Yeah, was, shit all twenty dollars was and a pack of gum. Yeah, five dollars uh, for a string cheese. It was, it was <laughs> not refrigerated. Prices. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, so, yeah. better
2: better than this situation but yeah so Squeeze, that's even more demeaning than just <laughs> yeah. like paying you 20 more dollars and be like get your own snack outside that's actually right. worse <laughs> yeah
1: um, yeah and we get Squeeze kind of plants the seed of unionizing in Cash's mind um, and they have this kind of exchange where I think that Squeeze even tries to code switch for a second he speaks to Cash about needing to get you gotta like mob up if you want to get the bennies and cash just goes what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) and he's like oh i mean uh you know sometimes we want to get paid more yeah we get paid more so (laughs) there's that bit
2: um well he does like dance around talking about organizing because there's that like he's looking over his shoulder like mm -hmm. there's the awkwardness of like we can't talk about on this floor, this, chop sucks.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that very hushed whisper of like, I don't want to do that, we can't do so. So, we get like that idea is planted, um, and we kind of move on to uh, Cash is driving basically, they're all going to go to a bar and and uh, squeeze is offered to pay for drinks. Um, so Cash goes and they're going to pick up Detroit, who is dancing with a sign. Uh, that just says off, right? I yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, just, yeah. She seems to love her sign twirling job. Yeah, and I mean,
1: it looks like a great gig. Yeah. exercise. <laughs> I assume pay. Uh, you know, I don't,
3: we're never really shown if she has a boss or even if that is a job or if she just likes. Right, it to could sign. just be performance. No one just right. It's just performance. It be, yeah, yeah.
2: Especially since it's like off and then the later one is signs in front yeah. of the sign store. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that one felt more grounded it, to me. It's probably, yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that seems to make sense, but yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I have no idea what it could be ironic too. Cool, yeah. Um, they, as they're driving, uh, there's a bit of, a bit more of Cassius existential talk as he uh, is, is lamenting that the football team, has not seemed to have moved on from their lives <laughs> in high school. And every time you see the football team, they're just kind of like hugging and huddling. They never actually seem to be playing football. It looks
3: like a rugby, uh what's it called? Um, Where they all yeah, like- scrum. Yeah, yeah. scrum, yeah. like a rugby scrum. <laughs> but they're all still wearing their high school football pads and stuff.
1: <laughs> and they always seem to call out to him. Like they're from whatever distance, they seem to, <laughs> to recognize Cash and call to him.
2: Um, so yeah, this, that, gets mentioned when Detroit starts to say something about him from high school. And then he's like, doesn't he like hits the break on purpose to keep her from saying it. Yeah. And then we never hear anything about it, but then he used to something yeah. in high school that Detroit appreciates in some way.
1: And he doesn't want to remember his past in this particular, he doesn't he value doesn't it. it as valuable. Yeah. yeah. He wants to find his own meaning right now. And right now I guess the call center is the way that he's trying to go. That's, that's where he's seeking his validation from. Um, and yeah, then, he kind of
2: demeans the football team for still being stuck back there. Stuck there, which,
1: like they've found their niche. They found the thing that they love. Yeah, and they want to just
2: hug yeah. each other and scrum. I CTE. guess for a long time. Yes, yeah, <laughs> they uh, work at the furniture store. And then he says they work at the furniture store, and yeah. then they go play football go play afterwards. Fun. I yeah. never see them working in the furniture no, store. No, you though. just I see them all, all and they're fully padded up, <laughs> yeah, and uniformed, every up and everything. <laughs> uh,
1: and then we we get to the. Um, yeah, we get to the bar where we get some more world building here. Uh we get the the Steve Lift interview, uh I believe, with the, yeah. the comparisons to slavery um for worry free and its configuration. And I love the deflection by Steve Lift, which is uh we're not forcing people with violence to do this. So the comparison to slavery is completely like arbitrary. It's different.
3: It's yeah. It's yeah. totally different things. Fact is insulting. Yeah, and you'll yeah. read about
1: it in my new book, and the book is just I'm on top <laughs>
3: by Steve <laughs> yeah. Lift. Of him yeah. riding a horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of horse foreshadowing yeah. with this oh, yeah. character. Yeah,
2: <laughs> um, I like how he he's also dressed in that like uh, he's just wearing like sandals and he it's has that this Silicon like, Valley look. Yeah, yeah. this like mm-hmm. laid back guru look or whatever. Darla immediately is like, "Is it a cult?" <laughs> thing and I was like,
1: "Yeah, kind of corporate cult. Sort of, yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah, like and he has okay. that quote
2: cult, cult leader feel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that Jeff Bezos. Fe- I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Adam Newman. Jeff Bezos." <laughs> yeah um yeah and you get a little bit of channel swapping too you get your your idiocracy-esque channel uh i got the shit oh kicked god. out of me or the oh show my god um where it just looks like people just get the shit kicked out of them for money uh i assume is the thing which i mean that's 150 pretty much million modern views day. a night baby that's just that's just <laughs> modern television right now like yeah. watching wipeout or any of those kinds of yeah. shows there's I remember like
3: Japanese game shows and that kind I, of stuff.
1: I remember the first time that I realized America's funny. Some videos wasn't that funny.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you turned like seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
1: uh, let's remember a 13 year old John, like the punisher. He might've liked AFV as well. Oh, wow, all, okay. Who knows? Uh, it was a this, different time for me. Those
2: videos of a skier going like head over foot all Dude, the way down a those... mountain as the crowd oh, laughs. <laughs> God. It's
1: weird to add a crowd laugh to that. Like,
3: like Just... Homer falling down the cliff. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> all you have to do at the end is put, he's okay, folks. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <then> if- <Yeah. laughs> it gives everybody license to laugh. Um, yeah. And then. Uh, we get to an interesting point where uh, there's a debate on race happening back at the actual table in the bar, not just where the TV is. They go back, they're getting their drinks, they all retreat back, uh, and they're talking about whether or not um, Put it, putting is... The che- cooking the cheese in yeah, your
2: macaroni as you cook it or putting adding it afterwards. the sauce in, yeah, yeah,
1: afterwards or then. He puts Parmesan on top. They're talking about all these different things. and um, Yeah, like Sal was bringing up that... like there's different spectrum of how black you are and that Lakeith Stanfield's character cash is, is a uh, Lionel Richie black. Um, and we get that, like yeah. that is Italians are no, he says white. he's Will
2: Smith black, which is timely. No, no, no. Uh,
1: <laughs> Danny Glover says Will Smith is proper English. That's how you speak. Oh right. That was but back when he's started out the white voice. The white voice. voice yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. We get a lot of, we get a few celebrity name drops. Yeah. And,
2: yeah celebrity name drops of people who aren't black. Yeah. <laughs> We're black, but not quieter.
1: Yeah, the where you draw your line for it. Yeah. Um Sal insists that Italians aren't white. And uh, Squeeze says yes they are. Detroit says yes they are. Squeeze says since like sixty years ago. <laughs>
3: okay,
2: <laughs> we, okay, which yeah, yeah there's yeah. a certain like it's interesting to to look at it that way. I like where he says that like sixty years yeah, it's ago like, 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 like post post World War Two. Yeah, there yeah. was a time where Italians were persecuted and then they weren't anymore and they jumped in the bandwagon of persecuting, I guess. I don't yeah, yeah like yeah. it just all blended together. Just
1: pointing that out. Um, yeah. And so, uh, squeeze also tries to dispel the power caller myth saying it's bullshit. And that, uh, you know, that's like that same shit about you. If you be fry cook for long enough, you could become manager someday. And that's an apt comparison of like, you know, you can be fry cook, but you don't know anything about business or like management necessarily. You don't glean anything from like the upper echelons of whatever the corporation is. You're still like part of that system and aren't really contributing to any kind of change in it. Um,
3: I listened to a, a podcast recently uh, with John Stewart was interviewing Jamie Diamond and they were talking about the structure of the economy and Stewart was talking about how it's so hard for, minimum wage workers at fast food places and he was talking about mcdonald's and jamie diamond who's the jp morgan ceo was like what are you talking about mcdonald's is great they employ so many people and they give these people opportunities to come and like learn the business and move up the ladder and get into management positions and stewart was like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh man yeah, I'm just a sidebar here. I really do enjoy that John Stewart is back. I'm enjoying a lot of his oh yes, conversations yeah. I, his, I,
3: his show voice. and his podcast are great. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah we get to, we get Cash's first use of the white voice. He's trying it out on a toast that he does here. Uh, as he he gives everybody else like chills basically by doing it. They've never <laughs> seen anything like it. Even Sal remarks in a very meta moment, "Dude, you sounded overdubbed." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like just great.
2: Um, I I really dig. And that's what they used in the trailers, the like overdub bits, because yeah. it, 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 it just, it feels out of place. Like it's interesting how it, it ends up just not being right for the voice. Like you can tell looking at it cold, they're like, that's not his voice. Mm. I, I don't know how perfectly they nail that, but they do.
3: I mean, it's supposed to feel like that because it right. is an absurdist comedy. Like it's supposed to not necessarily look like he's actually saying, like you're supposed to obviously know that it's dubbed. Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it becomes a conscious choice. Like you can tell from any moment that he has his, like there are moments where Cash is alone and he uses the white voice when he's talking to himself in a cubicle or something like that Um, later. And that's just a conscious narrative choice to assure you like he's kind of fallen down this hole of like now he can't really turn it off as easily. There's Mm -hmm, parts he just kind of inhabits of it. And it also draws attention to the fact that like, I mean, code switching is a real thing. It doesn't really matter the color of your skin. Everybody code switches in a certain way. Um, But in particular, I remember being in like a, a business meeting at like a previous company where they brought up code switching as like, here's how you might recognize it in your friends and all these other things and like, friend of mine called me out for doing it at like a Chili's, which is embarrassing yeah. that I was at a Chili's and then I got called out for doing it there. But apparently I switched my voice when I'm talking to wait staff. Cause I want to sound gentler or like more friendly. I don't want to be a dick. And so like, I go up a little bit in tone and my friend who was with me at the time was just like, that was fucking weird.
2: Yeah. Like the moment
1: that the, the waiter left, they were just like, that was really bizarre, dude. I've never heard your voice do that. <laughs> I was like, let's not talk about it. I don't know why I do it. <laughs> Um, obviously yeah.
3: because you don't like waitstaff and you, you're being <laughs> demeaning to them. I don't want to. Yeah, I talk to
1: them like children. We do baby voices. How yeah. I, That was the, the voice I used. No, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm not your
3: customer. I'm your family. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I was at
1: the Olive Garden.
2: <laughs> what was I supposed to do? <laughs> uh, I like that we get it. It's used, like it's called the white voice. As it's introduced to him, but he, it's also like a corporate voice, right? So yeah. it's like both him yeah. Like playing against his type, but then also like giving into the game, like becoming on that. Because that's where to me, I'm like, I have a corporate voice. <laughs> there's definitely Same. like the uh-huh. different things you say in conversations and, and the, the way at the point that I've given my soul over to various companies to like say the thing the company wants me to say uh-huh. in a way that doesn't say anything, doesn't, you know, yep. but is enough toe the line.
1: Yeah, there's emotional oomph behind it just a little bit. Yeah. Just enough with like a shell of nothing <laughs> that mm. goes, it's a sweet nothing though. There you go. <laughs> um, like an m M&M. Yeah, there you go. Boom. <laughs> uh, we, we kind of, after that, like toasts and everything else, and it's kind of just more celebration. And then we cut to it's the next day. We're about to get into like basically a montage after we've been through two days on the job. Uh, Cash now has his white voice, has tried it out on his friend's, Everybody was relatively impressed and weirded out by it. Uh, and now we cut to um, his kind of next discussion with his uncle where uh, he, first of all, Detroit shirt says the future is female ejaculation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Detroit is just an awesome character. <laughs> I love all of her aesthetics.
3: Her um, earrings, all our phrases, which is so good. Just yeah. Murder, 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 kill, kill, kill. 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 And yeah. So many that like, say entire ideologies on her her earring. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, As cash is talking to, uh, he's, he's basically like, I'm going to get the money now. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, His uncle is like, it doesn't even matter. We're so far behind. Like, and my diabetes is acting up and he pulls out a golden crucifix, turns (laughs) the head of Jesus and gets like a a sugar pill, I assume, or a diabetic medication that that comes out and eats that. I just thoroughly enjoyed that imagery of like it combines two things at once. There's a a comfort in taking what might be, um, actual medication or a placebo in some way. And there's also comfort in religion that provides you when you're like suffering some, some kind of solace. Uh, but that gilded aspect of the crucifix very much highlights that there's still something lurking behind even that, Mm -hmm. um, that that's hiding, uh, behind the golden aspects of it. Um, and that's just a small thing that like, I was like, Oh, that's really nice. I like that. Uh, um, so we get kind of cash, just promising his uncle, "I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the money. I'm gonna be the power caller. It's gonna happen."
2: His uncle mentions thinking about going to worry free, worry well, free, signing yeah. up for that, which we've now seen a couple times. I think we we heard steve lift talk about it i think we've seen like an ad at one cash point cash
1: watched uh yeah in the beginning cash watches something with it and they do like an mtv cribs thing later yeah the, yeah later it's straight yeah, up that's pretty funny
3: like this is where we <laughs> eat dog <laughs> and know, we like get like our grab bed. on yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the woman's
1: face she's very unsure <laughs> like everything going yeah. on yeah
2: uh, again like being turned up to you know up to 11 in satirical it's just straight up a prison Yeah, And like, Uh, yeah, us watching it, it's like very clearly like, yeah, they're not wearing classic prison garb, but it's the prison outfits, just a different color. And they're in the brick wall cots. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) yeah, cement block walls, but they're painted a different color, right? Like everything is
1: like, it's neutral tone. Yeah. And all the,
2: all the phrasing around it is this like corporatized, like worry free and you're, you have work guaranteed forever. You know, you have a forever contract. You never have to worry about not having a job. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I guess in prison you never have to worry about having a job. <laughs> I guess you get your three meals in a cot. Like, yeah, but it's still prison, it's not it's some not great. Yeah. And yeah. that's
3: honestly how prisons are used now, right? Like essentially people who are either forcibly pushed out of society or who the economy has left behind end up in prison and have jobs where they make like 8 cents an hour. It's like incredibly right. illegal. And, uh, you know, they're they're they do work for companies and, you know, create huge profits for American companies who can employ essentially free labor to make their shit. And it's really fucking evil. And it just like, it happens all over the yeah. country in all of these for-profit prisons. And, um, it's, it's really fucked up, but like the, the way they present worry-free is this crazy, fantastical thing that could never happen. It's like, it basically happens right now, except, the prisoners are not willingly going in and checking in at the prison and being like, yeah, sure. Just let me live here for life and feed me. Right. Yeah. Um, but this is presenting an economy that is so fucked up where people are willing to do that because they can't make it any other way. Right. Either they can't get a job or, you know, today in, in America, it's like impossible to live on a 40 hour minimum wage job. Like you can't afford rent food, anything. So like you got to work, multiple jobs if you're in that scenario and so like these people in order to avoid that there's like fuck it I guess I'll just go check myself into worry free and just be a a slave there forever stuck in their prison institution and it's like it's kind of on the one hand like oh that's crazy that would never happen like it's this funny exaggeration but it's like it's not that much of an exaggeration and exaggeration from where we are now the idea of that becoming a thriving thing and people willingly doing it is definitely a step like past where we are now, but that institution essentially exists in America now. Yeah.
2: Well, there's, yeah, there's that, well, it's like endangered servitude, especially like once you get out and you're on parole and you're paying for parole and then you can't pay for parole. So you get thrown back in like, it's Uh like, yeah, it's just a system that you get locked into and can't get out of financially. Um, But yeah, you, you have a class of people in America that are in that level of like, I can't make less because then I can't eat. But I also yeah. can't make more because then I lose insurance. Right. right. And they're stuck in this like, or... or I
3: won't, like people, like if you, there's a a weird income bracket where you make too much money to get food stamps. But right. But when they take yeah. away food stamps, then you have less spending power and then you can't pay rent and get evicted. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You kind yeah. of get
2: really stuck in this spot.
1: Yeah. Uh, and we get a, so we kind of... See those moments of like worry free here. And then we get uh, uh, kind of moving on to like Cash's montage, his first montage of success where he um, kind of has his first I remember I think it's like he's doing the white voice talking to this guy about how like oh you take this woman home to your house and it's all neat and clean and all these other the shit that she's seen before yeah she like, saw that with the guy she
3: <laughs> fucked last week
1: yeah but then she moves her eyes over to those bad little brown leather boys over there and like bam it's fuck time holla hala hala. like immediately <laughs> <like, laughs> and the guy is like alright like, it's like he's just...
3: selling encyclopedias yeah. as something that's gonna <laughs> get you laid like that is a salesman <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that's some talent right there
1: uh and the moment he hangs up that call we we start that like awesome song oh yeah i think is what it's Was that what it's called
3: uh, oh oh yeah hit it's like not oh, yeah, a word I don't, yeah. I don't know what it means yeah um, but it's great
1: and and we get you know S- Stephen Ogg characters like doing this weird manager walkover. He's about to high five him, and then we just get a montage of them high fiving, turning around. Like he's like riding at one point. Cash <laughs> is riding on the manager. And, like, <laughs> it's just like super excited. And the manager is like, "You're doing so good with the voice thing, but like hit more calls per hour." yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Still just pushing him, pushing him, and he's like, "They're talking about you up there." Uh, you know, PC baby power caller, like really just threading out that myth, trying to get him to buy into the legend and be like you can be up there with Hal Jameson any day now. <laughs> um
3: and They the- never <laughs> even try to hint at who Hal, Hal Jameson yeah. is, which is hilarious to me. Like He's just some guy that you're supposed to aspire to be. And everyone buys in. I love it
1: because later, like even, uh, I think Steve Lyft puts Hal Jameson in quotes. Like he's not a yeah. real person, uh-huh. but Hal Jameson wrote a book. So there's like a ghostwriter, Hal Jameson. There's like all this other stuff that just, it doesn't even try to address. It's probably like a character
3: created by worry free and, or not worry, yeah. by, uh, regal, 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 View. View regal yeah. the telemarketer company. And he doesn't actually exist. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and so we get kind of a, uh, you know, after that, he's going out for drinks again to celebrate. Um, he's been doing so well. We're like, you know, oh, yeah. days, weeks into his job at the floor, just knocking it out of the park. Um, we see a brief moment where he looks. Uh, cash is at a bar. He just looks down and sees this newspaper that says "Worry Free" has been, uh, like, Senate cleared "Worry Free" of charges of slavery, of slavery charges. Of slavery charges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so they're just allowed to continue to operate as they have been. Um, and Danny Glover. Is there to kind of console and talk with him about stuff. We get a moment where
2: uh, oh, he says, uh, "Why aren't you out on the dance floor?" And Danny Glover gives his yeah. classic, "I'm too old for that shit." Yeah, too old for that
1: shit. He talk, yeah, he's like, "Whatever happened to the dog? Just go woof woof or whatever and be done with it." I was like, "I don't remember that dance." Yeah, no, 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 what is that? Go. Did you improv? or <laughs> um There were two moments here that I really liked, which was uh, uh, Danny Glover talks about the squeeze and Cash talk about. I got the shit kicked out of me being a really fucking dumb, degrading show. And Danny Glover's like, I fucking love it.
0: Like I got
1: the t-shirt just like immediately opens up to reveal it. And it's just that, that that's like, does he wear that every day? (laughs) It's his (laughs) his undershirt. I like to think so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we also have the scene where uh, Danny Glover asks for um, the good stuff of some whiskey and it's clearly like supposed to be a Jack Daniels bottle that mm. is then opened to reveal a tinier Jack Daniels bottle that's pulled out and just poured into a glass. And he's like, "Yeah, that's right. That's like the top shelf,"
0: <laughs> which like I,
1: I heard that that's like a thing that in like spirits, you know, sometimes you take uh, from pretty much the same barrel and just brand it differently because you've added one extra step in between, mm. and then you just jack up the price to a certain degree. And I just like that as a dig. I was like, "That's funny that the bottle has a smaller bottle within it."
3: Yeah. Um. <laughs> Pappy Van Winkle does that shit. And it's like, you know, they W.L. Weller is owned by Pappy. Like it's all the same company and they just like it's all the same stuff. Like the older stuff is exclusively branded as Pappy, but there's a Weller 12 year bourbon and they just like taste them and just pick barrels, barrels to be Weller 12 and barrels to be like Rip Van Winkle 12. And there's really (laughs) no difference except how the person who was choosing thought they tasted and just like... to put them into different piles, and there's an insane price difference yeah, between right. those yeah. two. Yeah, Duff, I, always, Duff Duff Light. Duff, I was gonna say, I always
2: think of Duff, where he goes to the <laughs> Duff factory and they all just come out of one tank. yes yeah, split Duff, into Duff three. Duff, Light, Duff Dark. <laughs> I
3: love the there's a tartar control Duff. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, oh man. Um, we we kind of get the uh, Cash spends enough time in the bar talking to Danny Glover and decides, like, I'm just gonna go out and hang out with my friends on the outside part. We get an interesting point that I didn't realize when I watched it the previous times that the football players are actually in that friends group that's hanging out with them. Uh, when they um, go I outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just, just like they're... hanging out
2: there outside.
1: So they like still hang like cash still hangs with them, but he kind of passively judges them for being <laughs> where they are. Um, and we have, you know, squeeze and Sal are congratulating him on doing his job. They're all just hanging out. We get another beautiful kind of sequence of Detroit having earrings, which I think, we neglected to mention Detroit works at the call center now as well. It's one of her other jobs. Mm-hmm. She has this is dick her earrings. third.
3: Her third job, I think, that we've seen. Yeah, she performance had... <laughs> artist, sign spinner, and, and call center employee.
1: Yeah, and she had dick earrings when we see her in the oh, call yeah. center. Rainbow, dick dick r- sparkly rainbow dick, 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 dick yeah. earrings. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And the, the, outside the bar, she's got uh, two earrings of uh, an inmate like a, being electrocuted. On, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Somebody yeah, on death row. electric chair. Yeah, yeah. Just it's fucking huge, massive earrings that like sit on her shoulders. Yeah.
1: Um, and we just get kind of more of the conversation of them talking about Cash's uh, success and what's going on. And squeeze is trying to talk about the unionization effort and like alluding to what they're going to do. Um, and we kind of cut to next well, we day, right? we have that right? billboard
2: that's behind them. I like this bit. They yeah, have the wait, billboard behind them. Is it
1: the uh, baby daddy one?
2: Yeah, where it's like, be a responsible father. Share the
1: world, you are a responsible baby daddy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and like, the, what is he? He's like sitting there with like a gun in one hand and a liquor bottle in the he's other. He's got a something.
1: 40 in one hand and like a gun in the other. And he's just <laughs> yeah. lounging on the couch. And then we get... But
2: this uh, like, the idea of like because yeah. we're presented a few times with worry free and we talk about it being a, a prison, but it, it's also presented as like, take your kids there, yeah. Like yeah. go ahead and put your kids in here forever, uh, right? Because once the you're system. in, they're in forever because it's easier than trying to take care of them on your own.
1: Yeah, uh, it's just like how the tentacles of the corporation. Also, just how like tone deaf the uh, marketing is for them. <laughs> they they still get people. I don't know if they get people based on that billboard, but like. Yeah, in this world, like, nobody seems to mind that kind of advertising. No, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, And then we yeah. we, yeah, we cut to daytime with that billboard defaced. I think we've seen two yeah. where they've now By altered left it.
3: Eye, which is a sort of, like, Antifa-like organization that is out, like, protesting uh, capitalism and um, probably, like, less, like, Antifa is more about, like, police and stuff. This is more about just, like, protesting ultra-capitalism and standing up for workers and stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, and with that transition, we get to like the unionization where uh, Squeeze is basically everybody's gathered around right outside of Regal View, and they're talking about how their demonstration is going to be that uh, Squeeze will give the sign, uh, phones down. Um, although Sal interrupts and says, fuck you, pay me is the, the <laughs> go sign, uh, which is, uh, Sal also has brought weapons to back up this demonstration if they're needed. Um, which is great. Uh, it just
3: I love how squeeze is like, no, we don't need the weapons. He's like, it's not that serious. Well, it's serious, but it's not that. Serious. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and this is another scene where we get to see like cash kind of falter. um, he is standing there and, and squeeze kind of like, if there's anybody who has anything they want to say, any hesitation speak now, uh, and we can talk about it. And, um, Detroit looks at cash and cash is like, Oh yeah, I know I'm good. Like, and he steps up because Detroit looks at him and says like all for one and one for all, like go for it. Um, and then we get the, the kind of like cut to the actual demonstration happening. Cash is about to close the deal. Squeeze goes phones down uh, I love this scene because of how, the energy that the Stephen odd manager brings to it where <laughs> everybody goes regal view. You're on notice. And immediately he's like, fuck you. you fuck fuck you. you. Fuck you. Like everybody <laughs> getting so worked up about it. Um, and then they, they start their fuck you regal view chant in return. Uh, and, and that's where we enter kind of act two, um, which is cash working for cash is what I call it. Yeah. Um, Wherein Cash gets brought into the manager's office, not Steven Root's office. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a subversion here where you're led to believe he might be fired because he's been participating in this. Uh, And the the news that has broken him is like, you're not being fired. You you need to pack up your shit because you're going up, baby. You're going to the power collar level of the floor. Um, And Cash goes and gets himself a new suit, gets to drink a bunch of champagne while he's having that moment um and we get kind of day two of of the unionization and the planning there um which uh (laughs) culminates in um this standoff is that later i think that that's later that they might sal and cash have a standoff at one point outside
2: that's later yeah yeah. because i think we see him that's right go through the lines yeah fight through the line before we even get to that standoff that's like date which um
1: Yeah, I, sh- I should mention there's a bit where management basically like pulls a Jedi mind trick on Cash, convincing him that by going up the corporate ladder, he's actually in a different tier, and so it doesn't affect his friends at all in their demonstration. They don't even right. give a shit about And and Cash is kind of so uh, desperate to... One find the validation in his life, and two, pay off his uncle's like debts. Uh, that he's like, oh, well, if it really will provide me this loophole, like, and I can still be a part of this from the sidelines, then yeah, I'm gonna do it. And he he didn't really have an all invested interest to begin with, so that's all he needs to become a power caller.
3: And that's clearly a union busting tactic by management. Like at these call centers, everybody knows who the top performers are. Like there are leaderboards where everybody understands how everyone else is doing and cash is clearly the top performer at this call center and gives the employees a lot more leverage with him joining them. And when they promote him up out of that floor entirely to almost a different company, like a different branch of the company that's just so, so far and away different from where they are. And he doesn't have to care about their concerns anymore. It really takes away the leverage that, the rest of his coworkers have, and really kind of kneecaps their their efforts to unionize. Yeah,
1: um, and so Cash has has made this compromise. He doesn't yet see the impact of it on his friends and what they're trying to do. Uh, right now, he's thinking he's looking out for number one. And for like an inner circle of number one uh, that, that is his immediate friends and family kind of thing.
3: And yeah, um, and to be fair, he like wants to help his uncle get his his mortgage up to date and not lose his house. And, uh, you know, like he has good some good motivations in what he's doing. Yep. And it's understandable why. He decides to make that choice, but it's also putting his friends in a really shitty position.
1: Yeah, they literally, the management literally blinds him to them. They like roll the blinds so (laughs) so that he can't see them uh, as Squeeze makes a fist of solidarity. Um, Just kind of blotted out of his vision now. And uh, like, yeah, the first time I saw this too, I felt a, a growing sense of tension in the build of that discussion and when he got promoted and they were like no it won't affect anything down here i felt a subconscious sense of relief for him as a character so i had it's kind of that same mentality like i could buy into the motivations i understood it i was trying to like follow along with where the was going but uh, i felt like it really kind of captures brilliantly how um this kind of movements can be easily subverted by these mm-hmm. tactics these like ruthless tactics
2: well in the same like play the game world that we live in where like he could stay and be rebellious and help make the change that would affect a lot of people. It wouldn't make his place much better, but it would kind of make a lot of people a little bit better, or he can just play the game and move up. Like he's lucky, take your payout, move up, and this isn't your concern anymore. Like you're now above it. Yeah. And like, yeah, he's just like, yeah, yeah. Like why wouldn't you be selfish in this world and take your shot? Yeah
1: yeah and we and at the beginning of act two he shows up in his his three piece suit or it's not a three piece it's it's like a two piece yeah, regular. is a regular suit. Uh, and he's wearing pink, which apparently 35% of men who wear pink are more likely to start a
2: franchise. <laughs> I love that. Um, list. What, <laughs> does, what does that mean? I don't I love, know. I love um, these like perfect ir- news nonsense. Yeah. yeah. It
1: reminds me of what all of my medium articles look like now, which I'm just like, I'm not fucking reading any of this except for yeah. Michael Dixon. This Michael Dixon guy. He's a really good writer. <laughs> Check out his, his uh, medium articles. Uh, I'll take uh, a look. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Mr. Debauchery now flirts with him. Uh, she acts like she's too clumsy or whatever. And, uh we get like all of these different scenes where you see how people react to him differently now that he's in a different stage of power and and pay um we also get that ryan really... do
2: you want to talk about the elevator yeah i was yeah, gonna say yeah they yeah. go into the elevator and i think yeah first they go into the elevator and ms debauchery has to enter the code that takes you up and it just goes on and on like she <laughs> enters the code and the scene goes past that point point of like oh okay this is funny it's a long code into that like oh my god how long is this gonna go on <laughs> back into oh god this is hilarious yeah. like you just keep getting shots of her entering it and entering it uh, and then yeah once they start to go up the elevator uh, just yeah
1: Rosario
3: Dawson's it was like voiced voice. by
2: Rosario Dawson saying these like very uh, Dr. Strange love I like, hope you did not masturbate they, today yeah. <laughs> we need
3: you focused and ready to go yeah exactly
2: yeah these very like <laughs> sexual, you know, you're, you're a sexual monster, like hyping you up to your playing to your yeah, masculine yeah. side, uh, as he goes up to be a power caller.
1: Yeah. Um, and I love that but, every time we get in the elevator, we get to hear that. Uh, yeah.
2: We first. get a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah. And that we see him the next time trying to enter the code himself, like off the piece of paper. Yeah. My immediate thought, He's got an like, eight and a half by 11
3: sheet of paper that's completely <laughs> full. All numbers. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's, it's definitely a running gag in my family that I can't remember numbers like i can barely remember four digit numbers like i just can't i get them transposed all the time and just immediately i was like i could never be a power call- caller because i just <laughs> never get, make it to you i desk. could never even get up the elevator yet yeah, darla was like yeah <laughs> even if it was on the piece of the paper i would like lose track somewhere and be like oh fuck
3: I just well, want you off. gotta dial phone numbers too Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you gotta call
2: people. Yeah, I can't yeah, do Yeah, they'd it. have I'm to terrible. get you
1: like a secretary or something, some <laughs> <Yeah>. kind of <laughs> yeah. assistant.
2: Somebody I can Just to like do yell out Dial out at. Monkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just they would the probably get you somebody right. from the basement Handing floor. You the phone.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You've been promoted to Dial Monkey for the power <laughs> caller. <laughs>
1: You're yeah, the power caller, pal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they give a fun name to it. Um, yeah, this is where we're introduced to, we were formally introduced to Mr. Blank. Uh, who Mr. Is, Beep or
2: whatever. Yeah, yeah. They always Beep.
3: bleep out his name and I don't really know why they do that. It's kind of amusing but I don't really yeah. understand why. It's like this, this I, manager of the floor I guess that wears a creepy eye patch and like a bolo hat. Yeah, it uh, makes me honestly, think
2: of the bride and Kill Bill. Like the same thing. It's just like a style yeah. choice of like yeah. okay.
1: Uh, honestly, I kind of thought much like, um, I'm going to pull out a Miyazaki movie. Much like in Spirited Away, they took his name. Like, the entire company took his whole yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. And so he literally just is Mr. Bleep. Like, he no longer has that identity. He just works for the company at that top level and
2: has already sold his soul for for what he needs and what he wants.
3: Yeah, you're probably um, right. But,
2: yeah. Uh, I also, like, he has that eye patch. This is something I never really thought about, but Darla pointed out. Like, he has the eye patch, and it's over his left eye. And the rebels that we see are part of oh. the left eye. Yep. And I wasn't, I was like, yeah. She's like, does that mean something? Is he going to take that off or do something? I was like, no. And then I was, I thought about it and I was like, I guess maybe he's blinded, he's blinded himself to, to that needs. Like, so essentially he's like, yeah. he's given up. Like he's covering his eye to not pay attention to it. He's given up his name. Like he's just fully like, so this is where I am. And yeah, I'm part of it now. Yeah. yeah. I gave up my voice. I gave up my, yeah. Cause he, he's the one tells him too. He's like up here. All white voice. Yeah, yeah. Like Sugar you can, on top. Yeah. yeah, he's voiced by Patton Oswalt.
1: Yeah, um, and Mr. Blank uh, walks Cash through the floor, gives him the briefing of the fact that they sell uh, all kinds of things that are completely immoral uh, and and unethical.
3: They um, sell weapons from yes. U.S. weapons manufacturers to other countries and worry free slave labor, which yeah. is hilarious to me that like they they've been positioning this power collar thing as this thing that is like the crowning achievement of your career to get up here and be a power caller and it turns out you are doing like the most evil things in the world like perpetuate perpetuating war and uh, slave labor and it's just like that of, of course that would is what they would be selling up there like what are you selling to make that kind of commission evil shit. the big stuff yeah <laughs> well that's what something.
2: Danny Glover says when he first talks about the power call- callers he's yeah. like oh the difference is they sell the holocaust yeah it's yeah. the difference between <laughs> apples and the holocaust yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, he says that one line that's like, I, I like it just because of the rhetorical play of it, but he's like before we drop a bomb on some country, who drops the bomb-ass sales pitch? Yeah, <laughs> You're like, holy oh fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> good, dude.
3: And this is like, you know, against a commentary about our society with like, you know, we have these uh, massive military uh, contractors in this country, uh, Northrop Grumman, uh, uh, all these other... Uh, what the fuck, Halliburton, um, yeah. raid, raid is, I forget what they're all called. I always recognize them when they talk about them on the news. But all these military contractors who basically own the government and sell all these weapons to them. And you know they have sales teams that are uh, calling up congressmen and calling up foreign countries.
2: Speaking uh, of Channel 5, you should, I don't know if it's on Channel 5 or was it on their all cast, no breaks. But yeah. yeah, I'll find the the version of it. That guy goes to the conference, the sales conference for that. It's another one of these like surreal, real moments. Yeah. Yeah. He goes to the sales conference and gets the pitches on those weapons. And it's exactly like any other sales conference floor Uh that you would expect where it's like girls not wearing (laughs) much with signs about bombs. Yeah. 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 And people giving you sales pitch about how they're helping humanity by bombing other countries and making it a better place. Yeah. Uh, And their missiles can hit a pin from 10,000 miles away. Like the concept. Lockheed Martin's
3: uh, another big one. Yeah. They're
2: being a, uh, a,
1: a bunch of sales booths for like the slap chop and a bunch of as seen on TV things. And then just one for like, like nuclear Northrop warheads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Reminds me again of the Simpsons. <laughs> like, does solar power stuff really work? And like the fossil industry guys like knock out Hans Molman <laughs> yeah. and like slowly replace his booth with something else. Yeah. yeah. Any kind of opposition. <laughs> it's tangential. Um, mm. <laughs> but Yeah. So uh, Cash kind of has second thoughts here when he's, he's like, wow, you're talking about, slave labor and all this other stuff. Um, he breaks the the white voice rule uh, and is like, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, and that's when Mr. Blank shows him how much money he'd be making and immediately snaps back into white voice and is like, I'm going to need to get me some new suits. Uh, <laughs> <and> just... <laughs> goes uh immediately we kind of cut to detroit doing left side activism we find out uh she's defacing some of the worry-free billboards Fuck in a yeah beard, yeah, in yeah, a yeah, beard yeah, trying to do with a limp too to like throw people off to who she is um and uh we kind of alternate between that and then we go back to uh just cash getting more of the brief um from from mr blank on what what he's going to be doing uh, I don't, I don't know this one line he says, like they make automobiles for what it used to make bicycles is talking about like worry-free slave labor costs. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, I, yeah, that makes sense. Cause bicycles are less involved than the automobile. Okay, sure. But it just like that line in particular struck me as like odd in, uh, I was like, oh, okay. Um, I'm assuming the, the yeah, material like, costs are much more yeah, for, for automobiles, yeah.
3: but yeah, the labor cost. Um, you know, I mean, if you're, if they're running a, an efficient, System there, and probably a lot of it's automated too. To where like the manual labor is one, they're paying these people literally nothing. Like they just have to like keep the building standing up and feed them, right? So like the the cost is so incredibly low that like even compared to a minimum wage job assembling a bike, it's going to be yeah even so cheap. yeah, 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 they show
2: at one point it's like warehouse factory. And living quarters all in the same spot, so they're not yep. even like everything is there to yeah. build or do whatever they need to do. Yeah, and pay them, yeah, nothing. Um. So yeah, they can do that on scale, and then I guess it brings that price down to that cheap.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and and we so like Cash basically is going to be at the office. Like this is his first day as a power caller, but he's going to stay there until late. Uh, which unfortunately he had promised. To you try gotta it. He yeah, he's got to call people at dinnertime. <laughs> yeah, dinner he's got to call people at time
2: just in time for dinner they're, time. They're waking. Well, no, he mentions yeah. that his like they're waking up in Japan. That's what he says. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, to make me think of the the thank you for smoking. Oh, yeah. Where he where he like calls in the middle of the night and then uh, asks like, why, why are you calling? He's like, uh, it's morning in Japan. Like he says the same sort of thing where he's <laughs> yeah. like he's on the next day, the next time. Just always yeah, he's just always up 24 hours working towards the next day. Um,
3: I love his yeah. first call as a power caller where he drops into this businessman's bathroom <laughs> and is sitting right across from him on the shitter and pitching him. He's like, I'm calling about your phones. You know, you could be saving so much money if you used our free labor and yeah. books this big contract for worry-free. And in order to get the guy to sign, he reaches over to the bidet and turns it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I loved his, uh, yeah, his hype up too, where he's like, I literally cheered whenever I saw that you had acquired this one company. And it's like... Even- Even the, the like laughter he does in the white voice is like a maniacal kind of cackle. Yeah. It just comes with it. Um, But yeah, that's a great, I love those like drop in scenes. They're just so great uh, Mm -hmm. to see him there. Uh, So we, we kind of, at this point we're splitting between uh, Detroit and, and Cash's storylines and what they're currently doing. And so cash is going to be at the office. He's promised Detroit. He's going to pick her up at night uh, and take her to her gallery, I think. Um, And, he ends up working too late with the power color stuff. He's like testing himself on the books and all that stuff. So squeeze shows up to talk about the unionization effort um, with Detroit and kind of get a sense for how she thinks cash might actually be dealing with it, or if he might be helping. Um, You also get a little bit of sexual tension between squeeze and Detroit as they flirt a bit. Squeeze talks about how he helped organize a sign twirlers union (laughs) Uh after he showed off some sick sign twirling moves. (laughs) They get a break dancer in there. It's it's so obviously like a different guy, and it's hilarious. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> just to see that. Um, but yeah, uh, so we get that kind of like there's this schism happening between uh, between Detroit and Cash. Um, unfortunately, with the, the decisions he's making. So um, yeah,
3: she's becoming more uh, more of an activist, and he's becoming more of a corporatist. And there's a clear rift developing in their relationship.
1: Yeah, uh, Cash shows up late to her, um, to her, her art studio. And he is exhausted from being from power calling all day long. (laughs) Uh, and he just wants to smoke a joint and relax with Detroit. He wants to go through like the motions of their relationship. He wants that kind of intimacy. At this point, he's treating a lot of things in my opinion, kind of transactually of like, I just want this to happen. Like I just need, how do I, if I listen long enough, I can have this weed. Okay, cool. Um, and, and it, he
3: wants to avoid conversations about his job, too. She's like, what do they have you yeah. selling? And he's like, uh, what, what's, hey, what's your art what's over this? here? Yeah. Like, yeah, let's talk about that.
1: Dodgy about that. And when Detroit starts to speak about... Her, her work, she speaks about, like, the importance of Africa and the exploitation of Africa. And it's not just slave labor from Africa, but talking about, like, mineral exploitation, like, all of these kinds of uh, things that, that like, smartphones have bled into. And it just starts to tune out eventually as Cash is, like, so fixated on trying to smoke that Jay. He wants to reach for it. <laughs> um, and they, they end up sitting and uh, he's trying to, like, get her to tell him more about it after he's realized what he did, but she's like, it doesn't matter. Like, let's just be here in the moment uh, and enjoy each other. Detroit still kind of bringing him to the ground a bit. um, Before we get to uh, kind of the, the confrontation where um, we've got like another montage of success, basically, I think. Right. Yeah. He Um, just gets
2: more stuff. He pays his uncle. He gets a new car.
1: Yeah. Um, Maserati. So he,
2: he see his apartment upgrade.
1: Yeah. Right before we get to to like that montage of all the upgrades but the upgrades were awesome. Like that, that sequence is so cool. Mm-hmm. You watch like all of the fixtures fold out and become new oh, fixtures yeah. and everything's popping in just such a creative way to show like moving up in terms of like your, your belongings and all of that kind of wealth he's accruing. Um, but right before that, we get that to the polite off, which was what I referenced earlier, oh, where yeah. he runs in the sal in front of the building and they start having this like, I hope you have a good day. I hope you have a great week. I hope you have like the best month of your life. Like, hope your you know, year's year's fucking, years fucking fantastic. fantastic. <laughs> you smell good. What do you smell good? Hey, you yeah. smell good
2: too.
1: <laughs> I just got deodorant on. That's all I have. <laughs> um, and we we also have uh, um, this is the, there's been an ongoing thing where Cash's father is shown in a photo and he's always had like a fist of solidarity. And this is the first point where, um, he he, kind of has brought his father up to the power collar floor uh, in a black and white printout, not the color photo that he has anywhere else. It's black, black and white black. when he goes
2: into the first. The one center. that he takes to work right. with him. Yeah, is a black, he black, and, white that one black and white. Yeah, and,
1: yeah. and so like, um, yeah, I thought of that one as kind of like, oh, it's it's already kind of becoming, he's becoming a little bit separated from like his father, like what his father thought of him. That was kind of what I thought of it. And we even see that image change later to reflect like his dad, giving him a thumbs down, uh, which is just great. uh, A good kind of visual um, note. Um, But yeah, after his montage of success, we wake up in his new loft and he and Detroit have, this uh, argument over kind of his moral transgressions of what he's doing while she's kind of struggling with the, the rest of the call floor um, to, to get the unionized effort to go. Um, we've already seen there's been breakups of the, the union. They get like basically a bunch of uh, SWAT officers or like private security, whatever, to like push through the mob and get like beating the callers. shit out yes. of
3: protesters, oh, yeah. like it, elbowing, punching, hitting with clubs. Yeah. Just like, we got to get these power callers through the door <laughs> and like, Just very upsetting to see and something where you're like, how in the fuck is this legal? This is wild. Like they're just like people exercising their first amendment rights and cops just coming through and just fucking destroying them.
1: Yeah. Uh, And so Detroit kind of takes him to task for, um, as she says, sidestepping more than the fucking temptations,
0: Uh, (laughs) which is a great line
1: as cash always tries to like bring, bring somebody else into the argument. He's like, what's squeeze actually doing for anybody. What's like anybody else trying to do for this? I, at least I'm doing something. And uh, like, this is kind of the twist of cash has always wanted validation and now he's getting excessive validation in what he thinks should be his calling Um, And that's how it's leading him astray effectively, like from the people he loves and all these other uh, aspects of his life that he was connected to. He's effectively dug his way out of like debt and is now he could now go back to them if he wanted to, but he's kind of stuck. Um, so they have their confrontation and then that leads to a cover fight. They fight over the covers on the bed. Yeah, that yeah. was a great kind of resource <laughs> metaphor where he's like, you just, dude, you don't need this much. I'm cold. You're not the one that's cold. And eventually it just leads to him like falling out of bed and being like, with, his all, the ass. Covers with all the covers, no, yeah. yeah." he's got everything, <laughs> but he's isolated on his own on the floor. Um, so yeah, that, that shortly after that is when cash's father gives him the thumbs down in the photo. Uh, and, and Detroit has her new exhibit coming up, which is called the new fuck you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we get the, the have a cola and smile bitch scene yeah. uh, after this cash is trying to get through that crowd with that mob. And some woman throws a Coke at him hits him in the fucking noggin and says those, those famous words, have a colon smile, bitch. Um, <laughs> and it becomes a YouTube <laughs> sensation later as we find out. Uh, but we, we kind of like, we're getting that back and forth of like just him progressively going into power calling and being a scab kind of effectively in this moment, uh, and getting to Detroit's art demonstration because, um, Cash is invited to a party. We've seen his successful montage. He's killing it on the power collar floor. And Mr. Blank comes up and is like, what are you doing tonight? And he's like, I got an art thing. And he's like, no, you don't. You're going to this bomb ass party that not even Jay and Bay could get to. He's like Steve uh, lift wants yeah. to
3: talk to you. The guy who's been closing all these deals.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so cash is like, well, I still, you know, I still got to go to the art thing. Uh, still being at least true to his friends. He hasn't forgotten about them entirely. Um, and Mr. Blank's like, well, you do your thing and I'll pick you up and then we'll just go to the party after fine. Um, at the, at the art exhibit, we find out that Detroit also has a white voice and it's British uh, (laughs) Yeah, to connect with the art patrons, I guess.
3: Yeah. Pretty, pretty poignant scene. I think where, you know, she's very critical of Cassius's white voice as she should be, but then like, she still has pressures in her own world to conform to white society and to seem, uh, you know, approachable and harmless to white art patrons who may want to buy her stuff. And so she has to, um, you know, she is still kind of has this like black militants to some degree, but she is toning it down with this British white voice to, Not completely alienate people who might want to buy her art and kind of allow her to keep that livelihood going.
1: Yeah. Uh, And we get to one of my favorite scenes which is her actual art demonstration. The art exhibit, yeah. Um, the, mm-hmm. there's, there's a small exchange beforehand where Cash says like, I wouldn't miss this for the world. And Detroit kind of like dismisses that. Um, and then Squeeze says the exact same thing and she validates it. Mm-hmm. And Cash is like, I just said that like right now. Um, and you're seeing him kind of feel that isolation, feeling that cold shoulder that she's she's giving for the kind of trend. He just still doesn't recognize why she's doing it. Hasn't realized it himself but she's like, all right, well, I got to go do my thing. She steps on stage uh, and starts talking about um, how the transformative performance they're about to witness is a criticism of Africa of the, the like mineral that's mined in the Congo that's used in phones. Uh, I've, I think it's actually a very beautiful artistic performance, Um, even as absurd as throwing cell phones at a person is. Mm. I was like, this is uh, honestly, I would love to see this uh, if those phones were not something that I knew would hurt like a brick, Mm. uh, like the Nokias, especially. Um, but she's got, you got broken cell phones, you've got sheep's blood balloons, and you have bullet shell casings mm-hmm. in several bins. Uh, I'm going to stand up here and recite an excerpt from The Last Dragon, the Motown classic movie, <laughs> uh, which is uh, the excerpt is, and in the end, Eddie, you know what? You're nothing but a misguided midget asshole with dreams of ruling the world. Yeah. And also from two Gardens. Yeah. And also getting by on my tits. And she just starts repeating that over and over again while people think. Throw cell phones and sheep's blood and casings at her, and at this um, point
3: she is wearing nothing but three gloves, uh, strategically placed <laughs> yeah. on her body. <laughs> yeah, I love how there's two hundred boobs and then one uh, down down south that is just flipping everyone off. <laughs>
1: yeah, so good. Um, and and Cash doesn't understand the performance or why she's doing it. He sees it as something that like, he doesn't understand she, she the person her being
2: exploited, her being exploited, actually also being her, exploited.
1: her being hurt as well. He doesn't see the, the pain as being a sacrifice that she's making by choice. He is like, why are you doing this? Why is everybody actually participating in doing this to you? Um, and, and she, it looks
3: like she's legit getting hit in the face with, with cell phones being yeah. thrown at her.
1: Yeah. I, I, I have no doubt those are definitely foam props. I hope, uh, otherwise, Tessa Thompson
3: deserved yeah, an Academy maybe, maybe Award. Maybe they had some like sound effects <laughs> to make them sound heavier, but make, it yeah. really it really seemed like they were real, the real thing.
1: Um, and this is where you know Cash stops the performance for a second and is at, like trying to figure out what's going on. He's very disoriented and very worried. Uh, and Detroit immediately stabs him right in the heart with like, "Don't you know, Cash? Like, stick to the script is what I'm trying to do right now." um and that kind of sends him just like he's like all right i'm out of here i don't need this uh and he just leaves um detroit puts on a helmet, helmet and yeah.
3: assumes <laughs> uh,
1: the performance
2: maybe should have done that when the it's performance just, started but time, yeah. yeah once we, they really start throwing you need the helmet
1: we get a hard cut to the longest rail of coke being done by army Camera.
3: <laughs> the movie is shot in a very wide format and there's yeah. a line of coke across the entire screen. Like, it's probably 2.2 <laughs> yeah. 2. 2 to 1, maybe something like that. Yeah, And he's just real hard one sniff all the way across the screen it
1: starts it how I would love to start any meeting I guess you're all wondering why I've called this meeting I would love to do that with a line of coke every time I think that it would really accentuate you know the meetings premise in my opinion uh, but I'm not the do that.
3: second most epic coke snort in cinema history the first of which is of course Mandy when <laughs> Cage picks up a shard of glass it has a mountain of cocaine on it and just stuffs it right yeah, into yeah. his face <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god uh, and then we get like a huge yeah just the party breaks out it's one of those scenes where you, you're you trying to figure out exactly where you are you're so close up you're a little disoriented you're watching Steve Lift do a rail of coke um, and then he he brings levity to it with his little joke of uh, why I'm calling this meeting and we see Mr. Blank chumming it up with Steve Lift um, he's kind of changed his whole body language he's not as confident anymore he's a bit more, yeah, submissive, more submissive
3: to Steve yeah. Lift mm-hmm. he's and, lost the hat
1: Yeah. And he, he introduces cash and he's telling him about, you know, what's going on here. And that's when Steve lift kind of gives cash the, he gives cash a little bit of shit. Initially he's playing fucking games with him to kind of assert that dominance. Um, he's like, don't call me Mr. Lift. I never said you could call me Steve, uh, that kind of shit. Um, and then he gets to this moment where he's telling cash how awesome he is and how it's people like you who are going to save this nation. I mean, We need the workers too, but like, (laughs) (laughs) obviously
3: they're not important. It's people like you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, So we just get to see all the debauchery going on in his party and getting this uh, like cash's kind of perspective of all these crazy things. Like this is where his validation has brought him. He's kind of, uh, I would say like at the top of where he's ever going to be because Steve lift is obviously above everybody else. Um, And it's communicated in every scene. There's people just gathered around watching him do everything Uh, in the next scene. Even he's talking about how he killed a rhino that was charging at him while unloading two clips into it because (laughs) my inconveniently deceased guide was under the truck or something. It's just that wording of like, he has no regard for other human life. Um, just more of his stories of success and glory, and what he loves about himself. He loves Steve Lift. I'm on top.
2: I love how that could be like a story that's complete bullshit until they pan up to the rhino that just is ripped through. Yeah, yeah, like shoddily stitched together and
3: mounted (laughs) on the walls.
1: Destroyed. Um. And we we also get uh, another moment of, of this uncomfortability of somebody, Steve lived completely out of touch with everything that he's doing, but he makes so much fucking money, he doesn't have to care. He asks Cash to sit down and tell him a story. Tell him about that Oakland gangster shit, uh, Oak Town, as he says Oaktown, in an endearing yeah. way. Um, and Cash has not been through any of that gangster shit, has nothing to talk about and insists that he doesn't have stories. And Steve refuses to believe that that's true. Uh, there, there's his, his kind of racism kicking in um, as he's just like, okay, well, like, why don't you at least you can rap for us, right? I know you can rap. Uh, another one of my favorite scenes because it's so mm. glaringly like in your face yeah, with what it's yeah. about. As uh, Cash tries to rhyme a few bars, does poorly at it. And then just proceeds to yell inward shit into the mic, uh, repeatedly. <laughs> and everybody, it. And and everybody starts it to up. bop yeah. with it, and they all start <laughs> to repeat it as well. And he keeps repeating it for a little bit and then he dies off and they keep carrying it forward. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Which reminds me of like a Donald Glover bit he did about being at a Kanye concert and seeing more white people than black people singing the like inward bits and kind of looking at him and being like, What are you gonna do about it? sort of thing. Um, there's just like that, that loss of context of like what that, the importance or significance of that word or any of that is on this crowd. Um, we even see people looking at footage of Cash's have a colon smile, bitch footage and laughing at it. Having just met and watched him do all of like rap for them and all these other things. They're still totally content to laugh at that video of him being put down because it's just dumb humor to them. Uh, it's it's funny to see other people kind of suffer and have pain. Uh, I think the
3: dynamic between Lyft and Cash in that scene is interesting because it it feels like, you know, kind of your prototypical, like, white dude who, like, has, you know, some problematic opinions but doesn't view himself as racist and thinks he's, like, being friendly by what he's doing, but he's actually stereotyping this guy who is not anything like what he thinks he is. And he doesn't want to try to actually get to know cash and appreciate him as a person. He's like, you know, Hey, it's my, my black friend that I just met, you know, I'm like helping to improve his career. And it's a very condescending relationship, but he doesn't really understand it that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Well, and this is where, we get the turn with cash, obviously more here in a minute, but, yeah. <laughs> but well, you can even start to see how uncomfortable he is with all of it because I think this is where he realizes like, I thought I became something and there's still this higher level that I just never could touch. Like it doesn't matter like where it is or how I am. There's still just something above me and I will always be under it because it just has like, has nothing to do with the amount of work that I put in right. or anything that they told me, all the myths of it it doesn't matter like Steve Liff was on top and always will be and I'm just another cog in his bullshit the same as everybody else like he kind of just starts to see that facade
1: yeah and, and there's like a i think that Steve allows him or tells him to drop his voice at one point drop his white voice um, yeah he tells him on the to floor. sit down yeah yeah and and that's like the moment where it's kind of like oh he's let you get a little bit farther in what you want to do up here. Like you don't have to have the white voice for everybody to make them feel comfortable anymore, but that's because Steve lift wants him to be black again so that he can mm. talk to him about what he believes are black things, um, exclusively. And, uh, at the well, same that he time, he doesn't,
2: he never saw him any different, Yeah, right? Like it didn't matter all that stuff he did or whatever. He still sees him as this kid, yeah. a kid in Oakland.
1: Exactly. And, and that's what he reduces him to. Um, and then we get, uh, kind of this moment where cash is just so disillusioned after that, um, that he, he's sitting there trying to process everything that's happened and reflecting on like how far he's gotten. And Mr. Blank comes up and drops his white voice to tell him that Steve lift wants to meet with him in private, that he has to go <laughs> down this hall of doors <laughs> and look for, uh, what he's like, is you go down, he's down the hall, down,
3: down the stairs, take a left keep going. You'll see this door. Don't go in there. Take a right, go yeah. down the end of the hall. You'll see these doors go through there. Take a left. It's like yeah. Yeah.
1: Absurdly
2: it's long like instructions.
1: Yeah. And, and so cash goes and like hangs out with Steve lift. Who's doing uh
2: well, as he walks by just yeah. the actual like complete debauchery that the rest of the party has fallen it's like into. Fucking uh, into the corners yeah. and
1: <laughs> so they random shit that's just going on in this house. Um, yeah, and he, he walks all the way to Steve Lyft's room and Steve Lyft has a, a plate of coke ready for him uh, on, on a plate that says Mr. Bobo has a horse on it. It's Mr. Bobo. And
3: the coke line uh, is in a spiral. Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> uh, things are about to spiral out of control in this movie. <laughs> and so...
3: I, like, uh, Cash walks in, he's like, this place is fucking insane. And Lyft is like, thank you, I will accept your backhanded compliment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, he he sits down and kind of has a proposal he wants to talk to to Cash about, uh, and this is where we get um, Cash snorts a bit of coke. He's like, "Why the fuck not? Why wouldn't I do this?" He does like mm. whole plate, and is sitting there. And uh, Steve's like, "All right, well, let's start this video. I have a video to show you." He like starts it, and Cash is like, "I have to pee. I, <laughs> I really need to pee." And uh, Lyft goes, "No, no, 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 no. We can we can finish this. We're gonna finish this." Cash insists, and finally he's like, "Fine." bathroom you got to go through those doors you gotta look for a jade door go through that <laughs> jade door and there's the bathroom so cash wanders into what he believes what you jade saw door.
2: like when he was going down the hallway there's yeah. like yeah there's eight, lots of green like doors green doors yeah. <laughs> in that hallway when he yeah. first walks down
1: yeah um it's uh, cash walks into the first green door that he assumes is jade uh and it's this like slaughterhouse kind of vibe um part bathroom and part drains for whatever there is that gets killed in there. <laughs> That's how it seems.
3: Although he doesn't even seem to be uh, phase. like, yeah. because he just has to pee so bad. Yeah. yeah. he's like just blocking everything. Like, Fuck and then he sees like, Oh man, there's only one stall and he wanders pretty far in, into there. Like it's clearly he's not just a like bathroom. Sh- showers. But he finds like, what uh, yeah. he thinks is a stall and he's like, Hey man, you g- coming in or going out? <laughs> yeah,
1: the guy's like, Can you help me? Which is, I think Forrest Whitaker does the voice of this equusapian. Oh really? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't know. that. And, uh, and he's like, nah, man, I can't help you." Um, and he he kind of like, "Real like, bad." I'm hurt, yeah, real I'm bad. bad. And he like opens the door, and that's when we get our first clips. That's when shit gets really fucking crazy. Horse people. As, like, yeah, the equusapian, <laughs> yeah. the horse person, falls out with a horse cock.
2: Yeah, yeah the like, whole thing. You see all of them. This um, is when
3: everybody in the movie theater is like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, just <laughs> actively. <laughs>
2: Um
1: yeah, and like even the movie is like, what the fuck? is the music is like burr, burr, burr. Yeah, yeah. and then he Cash like backs up, yeah, backs up into a shower curtain that reveals that there's more Equisapiens behind him, and he runs out into the hallway, and that's where fucking Steve Lifts standing with a gun in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Cash is like, What the fuck is going on in there? And Steve's like, I told you to go through the jade door. And he's like, That is the jade door. He's like, That's olive green, clearly.
3: <laughs> like,
1: he's like, Do you, do you have to pee? I would be,
3: I'd be so screwed in that hallway. I'm colorblind. I'd, I'd be fucking done. Yeah. <laughs> Put
1: fucking labels next to these doors, please. Yeah. <laughs> Make it accessibility friendly. Here, come on. Um, and so Steve Lift is like. Fucking, it just would have made a lot more sense if you just watched the fucking video to begin with. You wouldn't have been as frightened as you are right now. I love his
3: nonchalant demeanor. It's like if you just watched the video, you wouldn't even be scared. <laughs> yeah. like, you just saw fucking horse people. He's like, like, do you still have to go to the bathroom? He just like... explains everything. Cash
1: okay, just pissed himself, and he goes back to watch the video, and we get to watch this lovely oh stop my God, motion claymation
3: video. Yeah, shit I, I noticed, so I'd always thought this movie, it looks like stupid Wes Anderson, basically. Like it's a <laughs> stop motion thing that's like kind of well done, actually, but yeah. it just looks really weird and dumb. But I noticed in the opening credits, it says a Michelle Gondry film. Yeah. And I assume that's a shot at Michelle Gondry, who's a director yes. who did Eternal Shun- Sunshine and some other things. And I was like, I've never known him to make stop motion movies. And I went back through his profile on IMDb and I couldn't find a single thing that was in that style. So I'm not sure why they were like kind of poking at michelle gondry there
2: but so they wanted to do it as a send-up and it's was signed off but then the for whatever happened the people were like no never mind you can't use the name uh, and so that's why he was like well then don't agree Don yeah and i mean he, it's
3: hilarious that they switch it but i don't know why like what it has to do with michelle gondry
2: i think that that yeah i think there was something that he said was similar to her salary that she did do some yeah. Stop motion or something. But yeah, he's it also said be, but... he's also said going for it. He's going to make fun of them in every single movie because until they, <laughs> until they'll like back, go back to the original promise. I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so they, they get to watch this wonderful uh, movie that even Steve lift says a lot of production value went into this. (laughs) (laughs) Like right when they start watching, I love like naked cave people. Oh yeah. (laughs) He's like a kid watching a movie with a friend that he really wants to watch it too. Like looking over every few minutes (laughs) to see what cash's reaction
0: is.
1: (laughs) And he's fucking just like so ecstatic about how great he thinks it is. Uh, and so this is where we learn that there is a catalyst Um, there's a catalyst that's given to people that sign up for worry-free and it turns them into horse people uh, known as equisapiens it's a scientific breakthrough that makes them stronger they get tired less, they can work for longer.
3: And they're Um, more uh, obedient And, you know, it's like, oh, these human workers, they just complain all the time that we lock them up in prisons and don't pay them. These (laughs) little spoiled bitches, you know, like (laughs) we've got to turn them into horse people so they'll do more work and they won't fucking whine all
2: the time. Yeah. Yeah. I like how it says they're more obedient. I'm like, that's somebody who's never been around a horse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, also, it turns out not to really be the case. Yeah, no, it ends up not working at all.
3: I love when they kind of go through the first... He pauses the video halfway through after it's kind of explained the initial part of, like, the horse people. And Hammer's like, see, this was all just a misunderstanding. And Cash is like, this ain't no fucking misunderstanding. You're turning people into horses just to make more money? And (laughs) Lyft is like, well, yeah, Yeah. basically. (laughs) But, like, I just didn't want you to think I was crazy. Like, this is a rational thing. Yeah, it was (laughs) a good (laughs) reason.
2: Yeah. I, look, and I it, quote that all the time. Yeah. I just didn't want you to think I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how the whole time it keeps talking about how the shareholders, it's like, oh, yes. our shareholders will, you know, be this amazing money for share our shareholders. shareholders. Yeah. yeah.
3: And it's like a horse person, like looking at the camera with a thumbs up, and then the narrator's like, "As our shareholders, you're part of this history too."
1: Yeah, and they like they go through that transformation too, which which should be really painful because it shows like their flesh being ripped off, and they grow into horse people. And he immediately just gives that thumbs up, <laughs> just right out the gate. Um, yeah, we cash gets pitched basically at this point. Uh, the like uh, lift turns off the video. And is talking to Cash because Cash freaks out. He he realizes, puts two and two together, catalyst looks like cocaine. I just snorted something off a plate that has Mr. Bobo the horse on
0: it.
3: Uh,
1: oh fuck, I'm totally they fucking tricked me. What the fuck is this? And that's when Lyft like talks him down while still holding the gun. He's still, like, waving yeah. the gun around. <laughs> yeah. he, like, yeah, yeah. He's like, it's
3: just coke, man. Like, yeah. chill out. The reason you're not high is because your adrenaline it's... is pumping, and frankly, you're hushing both of our vibes <laughs> right the, now. They, <laughs>
1: what the fuck does he... Cash says, like, well, they... like He's like, it's just fucking pure Peruvian. And it's like, well, they like, fucking horses in Peru, <laughs> yeah. I think. Be like, <laughs> more specific, yeah. man. Um, and so uh, Liv pitches Cash on becoming the sapien Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> to basically be the man on the inside that they can control for a period of five years I think contractually
3: yeah I wrote I wrote down the quote because it's it's so good Go but yeah it. I mean at first before before the quote he's saying like yeah like you I need somebody to lead these people who can convince them to do what I want them to do and be subservient to me and I need a man on the inside a horseman on the inside <laughs> who can like convince these people to get in line and He's like, you know, you'll be, yeah, you'll be viewed as Martin Luther King of the horse people. And, you know, like they'll form their own society and you'll be a hero. And I just need you to make sure that they like stay in line. And Cash is like, what the fuck, dude? I'm not doing that. And then Lyft says, two things. One, short-term contract. Five years, done. Then we give you the Diffuser Antidote Special Sauce Serum and you're back <laughs> to normal. And the second one, and I want you to remember this. You're going to have a horse cock, <laughs> which is so just such a good line. And Cassius does not care about the horse cock thing. He's like, wait a minute. What? Like special sauce serum. You made that shit this up. That doesn't up. exist. Yeah.
2: Like, <laughs> what is it? He, and then he's show him. He's like, well, hang on. Let me show you how much you'll get paid. <laughs> he writes on the piece of paper.
3: I offer you $100 million. <laughs> smiley, smiley face. face.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh and, and this is kind of where act two concludes for me because now it's all kind of downhill from here
2: it, it is amazing that he walks away yeah right like that was in the movie where that's where I'm sitting there watching it the first time you kind of get this like shock of like what the fuck horse people and then you get this mm. fucking weird video and in any other movie in this kind of role you don't walk away. Like either you get, you become a horse person or they kill you would be the implication. He brought the gun to get him to go back and watch the video. And then afterwards it's like, all right, think about it, man. (laughs) Let him go.
1: And the movie keeps going. It's just one of those things where like Steve lift is so rich. His company's already been cleared of slavery charges. Right. He's got fucking like horse people actively already. Yeah. Nothing can like, take
3: him down. Nobody
1: gives a fuck. He doesn't give a shit. He's just so nonchalant about letting people walk in and out. It doesn't matter. He was like, yeah, just think about it cash. Cause money, he's also probably so deranged that he's just like the amount of money will probably convince him overnight. If he just sleeps. Yeah. On he'll, him. yeah. He'll come right around. Let, let him fucking walk. <laughs>
0: uh, that scene
3: is just perfect. Like I-, I love that scene so much. Army hammer is fucking deranged and he just plays that character perfectly and just how it just kind of keeps ramping up the absurdity and what's happening is just so good. Like in my opinion, best scene in the movie and, and just just so, so fun to, to watch. Like after I watched the movie, I just went back and rewatched that scene again. because <laughs> It's just so good.
1: Also another really poignant uh, moment for cash because up until now he's been hustling and kind of grinding and trying to get that validation that he seeks Uh, starting at the very beginning of the movie when he's talking about if he'll do anything that ever mattered, watching him even reflect at Steve lift's party on um, still being just kind of objectified and reduced into something else. And then having this moment where he's so perplexed as to why Steve lift chose him for this. And like, Steve lift just grabs him and goes, cause cash, you are awesome. <laughs> and that's the validation that he's been seeking, but it's so twisted and deranged and just off putting that. It snaps him out of that, that dream. Like he's no longer in this for me. Like he doesn't want to do it for the individual aspect. He's now like, this is fucked up. This is totally fucked up beyond all mm. measure. Um, and, and kind of like runs out of there. Uh, so we get to act three, which I've called, do I have a horse cock in this race? (laughs) (laughs) Um, in which cash tries to call a bunch of news outlets to convince them.
3: I love that. He, he wakes up and reads an article about worry free and sees the byline and he calls the newspaper. He's like, Hey, let me talk to this guy who wrote this article. And they, they give him to that guy. And he's like, they're turning people into horses. They got this stuff that looks like Coke, but it's not Coke. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, what the fuck? And just hangs Hanks up the, up the bottom phone. End. Like it won't listen to him. Cause the idea is so crazy that like nobody will take him seriously.
1: Yeah. He's, he's effectively like we get this fast turnaround where he's uh, being immediately humbled in various ways. Like nobody believes him now that he's at this point, at least not anybody journalistic, like outside of his friends group would. Um, the on tv is a woman doing a follow-along tutorial on how to make the Havacola and smile bitch wig yeah, uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> like, like a middle-aged woman on an arts and crafts network where it's like you know the the video has gone so viral that grandma has seen it now and yeah like yeah has reached that stage where
2: it's not funny anymore you know? <laughs> yeah those, those dudes pull up that recognize him and they're like, oh, yeah, that's who you are. And he tries to blow it off. I'm like, no, that's not me. Like, no, you know? man,
3: everybody thinks
2: that's me, but it's not. Yeah. yeah, and then they just throw their drink at him, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Um, and he he ends up uh, trying to seek out Detroit. At one point, though, there's a news anchor who says, uh, what is that Yes, Ryan? I wrote that down. Yeah, so he please. goes to
3: the doctor because he's concerned that he has snorted a the horse, <laughs> horse fit stuff. And it, he's like, but before he goes into the doctor, he's in the waiting room. And there's a news anchor that's talking about... The protester who threw the coke at him and how she signed with a deal with Coca Cola. And, and the news anchor says Rhodes reportedly signed for an amount of money that could buy four white babies. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: oh
1: my god
3: uh, and he goes into the doctor and he's like doc does do does my dick look normal like do I look like a horse am I, I okay I've
1: realized that I, I love the comedy of a man going to a doctor and asking if his dick looks normal because I love that scene and Forgetting Sarah Marshall as well there's a similar Jason Segel's like doc could you just take a look at it and he's like Peter I'm a pediatrician I don't <laughs> yeah. know if you notice you're sitting on a fire truck right now <laughs> great opportunities for comedy yeah. there
3: I'm not very familiar with post pubescent dicks <laughs>
2: <laughs> i like uh, that we get the background on the have a coke bitch smile bitch uh that that she also seems to have like raised up the ranks to like have a music video oh yeah and uh, sign these contracts or whatever seemingly also not protesting anymore right right like she got a, a cut and now has gone out of it as well that like this and then the sort of like 15 seconds of fame and you completely forget it's like about the way what you were, who you were, what you were doing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's like the way the rich and powerful will quell worker rebellions by just handpicking people out of the group that they think are catalysts and causing issues. And like, that's how, you know, you don't form a union because we fire the people who are pushing for a union and come up with random excuses as to why we fired them. We'll invent something about a performance issue or Something like that. Like, there's so many unionization efforts going on in the U.S. over the past couple years. And you see, like, Amazon fired Chris Smalls, who was leading the uh, stuff there. Like, the Starbucks chains that were trying to unionize in Buffalo. they Like, I saw some people, Starbucks employees, who were fighting to be unionized, like, interviewed on the news, and then they got fired, like, a few days later. And just, like, that's how these institutions work like they'll fire people or they'll pull them up into management Move to keep stores, the, yeah. the workforce from actually being able to get any power and, and band together.
2: It, and also though, like the distraction, like these, all this consumable social media like distracting us from the actual yep. problems by being focused on like, holy crap, we mentioned Will Smith earlier. People, <laughs> People said some really poignant, things right that were topical good conversations from people who had their opportunity to get in front of the mic at the oscars mm-hmm. and everyone's just talking about will smith's fucking hitting a dude like that's yeah. all that i mean matters. right after that
3: Questlove won best documentary for summer of soul which fucking love that was movie. Stra- right, we, great right yeah and he gave a, a wonderful speech about like you know what he went through to make the movie and black culture and stuff like that that was great but like nobody wants right yeah about that. we
2: had all these things for ukraine for for lgbt for deaf people like uh-huh. all these things that got talked about nobody's going to remember, but they're going to talk no. about Will Smith for forever and argue back and forth. And the media, that's it. Like it's the same thing as they have a Coke. It's just everything now is that for a week next week, we'll forget. But by the time you are listening to this, you'll be like, Oh yeah. <laughs> remember that? Like, yeah. yeah, it's just, we, that's it. You get to consume it. And it also perpetuates that myth by having these Instagram stars and YouTube stars. They're like, Oh, all you have to do, you know, you do this, you, you do a little bit of work, you get famous, you get a bunch of money and they don't show you the, hundred thousand other people who are getting nothing like who aren't hitting, but it's, we'll just really highlight this one that's making it. And now, yeah, see, you could be doing this. Like it just, Mm. you
1: you just need to work, man. That's yeah. That's kind of the damage behind like auteur theory too, of thinking that like the director does everything. The director informs a lot of, of movie decisions Mm -hmm. and it, but there is a cast and a crew behind it. I think one of my buddies, he's an editor in LA. He works for, for Warner bros, um, I, I won't say. It. Maybe I'll bleep that out. Who fucking knows? Yeah, and and he was very critical of uh, the the Academy Awards because they said best editing went to Dune, and he was like, that man has a fucking name. Why yeah. don't you say it? Yeah. And yeah. like, well, show, that was one yeah. of the ones they
3: filmed <laughs> like, beforehand and just like stuck it into the, yeah. into the yeah. program for he, as short a time as he'd they been could. protesting
1: that. He was like, show yeah. all 23. Like, I don't, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to watch the Academy Awards because I support my, my editor buddies and I want to, I want the fucking Academy to actually recognize all of these different awards in their own time and give them their own bits that they need. Like, fucking just do it.
3: I saw, uh, um, Two years ago they first talked about doing this and there was so much uproar that they didn't do it. And then finally this year they just did it, but... I think it was maybe, maybe it was Guillermo del Toro or some influential director was like, because editing was one of the ones they were pulling out. And he was like, cinematography and editing are literally the only two things that separate filmmaking from other art. You know, like yeah, right. we have yeah. like theater and stuff like that, that is like very, like a lot of that stuff translates over. But like editing is one of the core things that makes movies, movies. Like how the fuck can you pull that out into some little sideshow?
1: Yeah. Uh, that was our, our tangent there right, for a all second. All right. We're back on track we're back on the rails while this movie goes off of them. Yeah. This surprise uh, me
3: posted like well after the Oscars too, so it's like not yeah. even gonna be relevant. But, but.
1: Uh yeah, so so Cash after the doctors told him like I this looks like a dick to me. I don't know. Um, he, he goes <laughs> to Detroit and that's his next thought. It's like, I'll show Detroit my dick. She's been intimate with me. She would know <laughs> if it's gotten bigger or not. And she's like, no. And I, is this like your excuse to get over here? Cause she's you're like, I'm to... glad
3: you're feeling yourself though.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she, she points to the fact that he did a, try to a booty call her last night. He has no recollection of doing that. He's and also lost his phone. I lost his yeah. phone.
2: Well, I also like how she's like, you, you we could have just looked at your nostrils. Just because horse nostrils yeah. are larger, like yeah, why are you so focused <laughs> on, <laughs> on your dick? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: so he finds something. Sexual has, prime. He has yeah. the, the evidence. According now. to the elevator. <laughs> He has the evidence now that uh, because of the the video call voicemail that he left her, that actually is just a bunch get of the, the, the Equus sapiens. <laughs> while Steve Lift goes, if you don't get back in there, you freaks, don't get back in that corner. I'm going to turn you into glue. <laughs> like, I think he says,
3: if you beautiful freaks, yeah. don't get back in there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so he he cash decides to leverage this the only way he can because he realizes he puts two and two together with that doctor's office thing about the uh, colon smile bitch woman uh, and his newfound footage. Uh, and the fact that he's in that video, hey, I can be the Havocola and smile bitch guy that uh, goes on to a TV show and gets his, gets the word out. Unfortunately, that show is I got the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> the only <laughs> show the only that will take him, yeah, it's yeah. the only one
2: that
3: would take his call. Like.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, in exchange for getting the shit kicked out of him and getting put in <laughs> the shit, shit pit, pit?
3: Yeah. yeah, he's in, then covered in shit at the end of it, and has to be like, "Watch my clip, please."
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I love that the the host is like, "Is it as crazy as the?" Have a colon smile, bitch, whatever. And he's like, "It's fucking crazy." I just like, <laughs> She's like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shows that and uh immediately we get a montage of cash going on like morning talk shows on like the news circuit late night He's shows on late night with jimmy which you know mm. i would just assume is jimmy fallon uh, or, or, kimmel. or kimmel either one yeah. i i just assume that jimmy fallon would be like <laughs> that's so crazy man yeah. <laughs> um, Like not actually yeah. caring about doesn't give a shit about it at yeah. all fuck jimmy fallon <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, uh, eventually it kind of, you think that it would lead to something, uh, you're getting this really tense music too behind it. And the, the, beats kind of pushing it along and you're like, fuck yeah. Cash is getting the word out.
2: It's letting everybody know about this. I like that. And uh, th- it, is This where we get a statue from yeah. Detroit as well, where she has Steve lift, like fucking a horse from behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And that one guy's like, what is this supposed to signify? And she's like, maybe it's just literal. <laughs> <laughs> um, And, and we find out that like what actually ends up happening is this whole thing. Nothing fucking does anything. Uh, Steve lift gets richer. Um, they celebrate through the roof because
3: (laughs) shareholders realize that he's found a way to make their labor even cheaper. And so like the stock like has its biggest rise in the history of the company, which is just so fucking America. Like that's what always happens when the shit goes down, you know, stock prices go up and it's completely, uh, disjointed from what's actually going on in the real world and how real people are being affected.
2: Yeah. Well, and then in on one of those talk shows, Cash says, "Oh, call your call, congressman. congressman and then we see at the stock uh ticker that the congressman is standing, both a Republican and a Democrat, are standing next to Steve Lev, congratulating him. Yeah, and and they sold their shares. We we're
1: hearing the voice dubbed over it that says, uh, "It's been one day since the viral sensation leaked worry-free scientific achievements." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. just completely like lampshading that whole thing, uh, and, and like all of the stock prices soaring and stuff. So we we kind of cut from that television broadcast to Cash in a bar. Um, he's sitting with Squeeze and Sal. I love I love empty. this
3: scene where it, it's like Cash has to admit that he was a dick and he betrayed his friends and coworkers and like come back to and be like I'm I'm sorry like I want to help you guys out and be part of this and he's so he's so frustrated with everything that he's just gone through and he's like I I told everybody what was going on and like nobody. Nobody cares. Like, what? What the fuck is happening? Like, there's nobody's doing anything about it. And Squeeze uh, responds, "You know, most people that saw you on that screen knew calling their congressman wasn't going to do shit. But if you get shown a problem and you have no idea how to control it, then you just decide to get used to the problem." Yeah. And I, th- I thought that was just a really great encapsulation of American society. Not uh, criticizing people for getting used to problems. But our, you know, infrastructure is all built to prop up the wealthy uh, and the powerful and to fuck over everyone else where, you know, you hear a story in the news every day for a week. It's like, oh, man, that sucks. But then it gets to be old news and we move on to the new outrage. And um, kind of like you were talking about earlier, Ryan, you kind of forget about what was the problem last week. But those problems don't go away and we never fix them. And I think, like, a lot of our politics today, the reason it is boiled down to culture war bullshit is because, like, no one in America believes anymore that economics can actually change. And that through political action, you can actually make life better for for working people. And so because people are so disillusioned by that whole system, they are, are just caught up in this culture war shit. Well, I'll just fight over abortion or wokism or whatever whatever the thing is that they think is a problem that they have to to fight about. And not to say those things aren't important, but like the the gains that can be made through simple economic politics, like raising the minimum wage, Medicare for all, different things like that, to you know, increasing taxes on the rich that can be so beneficial to working people. We all know those things are so far out of reach and actually can't happen because of all of the, the wealthy controls on our economy, all of the lobbyists buying all the politicians, corporations being people and getting to you know shoot their free speech <laughs> everywhere and buy up all the politicians they want uh, to where like we, you know, we know these problems are there and it's not that we don't care about them, but we don't think we can do anything. And I thought the, the movie does a really good job of kind of commenting, on that dynamic, not looking down on working people, but blaming the, the system at large.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a, a system of conditioning. And that's like something that, I mean, like that's what social media does right now. We were talking about this offline at one point, Dixon, about how like if social media was turned into more of a government utility um, that had regulations and watchdogs around it, that mm. the algorithms would be reduced to probably dumber things that weren't geared towards ad revenue, um, that it might, Bring some of the steam and some of the like uh, more enticing aspects of what currently feeds that feedback loop of like let's just pretend that we forgot everything before and focus on what's going on this week. Uh, I just realized the other day looking at my Twitter feed, like everybody's trying to be a stand-up comedian every week about some bullshit. And it's just completely sapped a lot of the joy out of seeing any updates from friends. So when I see stuff that's unique, that's them talking about, Hey, I'm working on this project. Here's this artwork. My cousin who is uh, my cousin-in-law who's in Ukraine right now um, is actually actively painting to like criticize uh, the Russian government's invasion. Uh, He like tweeted out and, and kind of posted this beautiful painting of, uh, a Russian soldier dead with sunflowers growing out of him. And I was like, this is fucking rad. I want to see more of this. And I'd want to see less of like, Oh, Hey, here's another meme of Will Smith slapping the shit out of <laughs> Chris rock yeah. that has Sonic rings coming out of it. Hashtag Sonic the Hedgehog 2 movie, everybody. Uh, but yeah, um, not GI Jane too, not GI Jane. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I agree. It's just a great way to criticize the system and not so much the people, not punching down, yeah. uh, as mm-hmm. it were. Um, yeah, I
2: think what when it clicked with me, I like have never clicked with, with Facebook or anything anyway. In fact, my phone died, and I had to go to my backup phone and restore everything, uh, and I just <laughs> haven't logged into Facebook because I'm like, I was already barely doing it. But I, I, I realized at one point that like what I was using Facebook for would be the same as if I just opened the window shouted out something i thought was funny and someone that was walking by was like
0: ha yeah. like, that's,
2: that's all i needed from facebook but i'm like why post that like yeah. what what was the point of that anyway yeah
3: are uh, you now doing that as an alternative to facebook
2: you just shout stuff out. Yeah, just we, rolling down the uh, no He no just texts just me in the, the middle of the fucking John. night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I text John or my dad or one of my friends, or I say it to my kids and Darla, and pretty much I get the same response that I was getting on Facebook anyway, but it feels yeah. more targeted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah honestly, just it's like, better. It's valid. Yeah, what was my, it was when last week, probably I think it was the, I was stuck on the uh, one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Yeah. Still eats that people. Right? right? Like <laughs> it's still fucked up. <laughs> just because you don't know a purple person doesn't suddenly make it okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway. (laughs) I don't know why.
1: I was about, when you texted me that, I was going to go off on a whole tangent about the uh, itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. I was like, why the fuck should I care what she wore for the like, (laughs) anyways. (laughs) What (laughs) shaming. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. anyways. Uh, So it gets to this point where Cash's kind of beaten down and uh, Squeeze gives him a pep talk to kind of bring him back to you know, more locally, like things you can do that affect your immediate bubble, your immediate area. What can you do to organize and help? Uh, You have all the resources around around you at any point in time, the people that, you know, actively have their own autonomy can help you brainstorm ideas and these kinds of things. And so he formulates a plan, um, after making a promise that he, he will, uh, do best to kind of think about, uh, the community first and not so much himself and what he's doing, uh, like his individual gains and everything he's learned before. Um, so they make a plan. They get Detroit in on it. They bring uh, these statues that had been alluded to at one point from one of her previous galleries, set them up in a row in front of Regal View. Dressed
3: uh, as protesters.
1: Everybody dresses up as the have a and smile bitch uh, <laughs> person, which I think is just a great kind of like, I'm taking it back for an actual good cause and not mm. for the sellout kind of aspect of it. Um, and here, come, you know, here comes the final showdown. Uh, this time Cash is on the right side. And, um, should I say the left side? Uh, and, um, the, the like security guards try to come through and beat the shit out of people. They're like clearing the crowd and they get to the statues and they just get like hit and taken down. Um, and then within that, like the football players come in and they're just Uh. like wrecking shop, doing what they love. You know, they've been, they've been playing for this very moment. Uh, all all their lives finally get
3: to relive the glory days, baby.
1: It's just one of those things where like all of the things that cash had criticized before and thought didn't have kind of this more existential value he was seeking. Like they're all the things he's able to lean on and draw strength from. And they really make everybody different, unique and own themselves like their experience. They're enjoying their lives. And it it's like bringing that together, brings the community together against like this oppressive force uh, and worry freeze bullshit to help kind of expose this and he's even broken into the worry-free offices and freed the equusapians to <laughs> to come and help and he signals them by blowing a whistle into a phone <laughs> before getting knocked out. Um, yeah,
3: because in the video that was taken by the equusapians on his phone it shows a worry-free Person punching a code in, and turns out that's just the code that unlocks everything at Steve Liff's house. Yeah, like, yeah. he gets so, in the main gate with that code and, and to, frees
2: the Equisapiens to go up the elevator, thousand numbers to go in Steve Lift's house, like four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, <laughs> Steve has to remember him, he has who, the same problem. I have who would, who would go to Steve Lift's house? <laughs> um, I like that his yeah. house, This is what Darla pointed out, too, of like he has this house, this mansion that then downstairs is also their like laboratory, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> Uh, He also likes to work where he lives. Yeah, Yeah. right. Saves money. It's this whole concept.
1: Um, Yeah, he walks around in like a, I don't know, some kind of garb, like robe,
3: (laughs) dress thing. Some sort of man skirt. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know what's going on there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so. He's also wearing like equestrian boots, which I thought was (laughs) hilarious. Oh, and every, yeah, I was going to say,
2: when when we see his office, Mm. uh, when when Cash goes down there, it's like horse stuff all over that. (laughs) Uh, He's just obsessed (laughs) with it.
1: Um, and I mean that's that's great the in terms of like the the metaphor and symbolism, like the horse is always rec- represented like a working class it's, it's like stronger than other animal like animal farm is what I think of when I think of a horse um, and, but it, but it's
2: also this like prize of a rich person, yeah. right the racing horse, yeah. yeah.
1: The polo horse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any of the polo porn, pony, whatever. <laughs> uh, the Bud Light Clydesdale. Is that, is that still a thing? Or is that Budweiser? Budweiser. Yeah, Budweiser, yeah whatever. Yeah. Bud something.
2: <laughs> it's, yeah, they're not. Bud Light's below the Clydesdale. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah, pitfalls. Okay. Frogs. <laughs> <In Bud> Frogs, <laughs> <legs>. yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah, Cash calls in the sapiens. He gets knocked out and uh, wakes up in the middle of the night. The rioting is still going on. <laughs> Uh, and they're still fighting um, he's, he gets, he's
3: locked in a police truck
1: yeah he we get it we get kind of a delightful tease of like what is actually happening as we see people running uh, across one way and guards chasing them, and then running across another way and there's a car that's like it looks like a ups van or something that's just following like immediately trying to drive into them um and, and we hear, you hear a it crash thawed. yeah you're like oh my god they actively like hit that crowd but then the the like car stops and starts to... It's like being pushed back and the Equisapiens show up and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, they're here. (laughs) The Cavalry's arrived. They open the doors for Cash. They let him out uh, and there's just kind of this triumphant like same struggle moment. Cash Uh, is
3: like thank you. We really appreciate your help. And then (laughs) Equisapien is Forrest Whitaker. And he's like, I'm from East Oakland, dude. Don't talk like (laughs) that. (laughs) I
1: also love that their, their sign is he's like Equisapiens, let's be
3: out. And he just like rolls. (laughs) just Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, And then uh, we kind of get like a wrap up of um, there. There's been like, yeah, just that big demonstration that riots happened and we, Get to a sequence where we're seeing the aftermath of kind of Cash's life, what, what's happened to him. He lives now again in his uncle's garage. He's brought some of the stuff though that he had before uh, that he bought in that apartment. Um and he's given away his his car to uh to his friend Sal. Uh and he's taken a, a like a modest downgrade. Uh and he's he's like, he's got like a used happen. Honda and yeah. he gave
3: the Maserati to Sal. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And Sal's so like, you could have just said, sorry, like that would have been fine. <laughs> but I will also take this.
1: Yeah. And so we get kind of that, like, Oh, you know, he didn't give everything away. There's kind of this mix of, you know, you don't have to be idealistic about it. You just have to do my favorite rock where my quote is like, do what you can, when you can. Um, it's like said in the first or second episode of the mm. first season. Uh, and I think Such about that show. constantly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's kind of given most of his gains away. He's, he's going to return to Regalview. He even mentions that. Like, he's going to go back to the call floor. Uh, Darla's immediate to... comment, why the hell would you do that? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, now they've unionized, and I assume there might be some change there, just a little bit or something. But uh, Cash is kind of, like, finally come into his own. He's comfortable with where he's at. He, like, really loves his life and the friends he has in it. He's learned uh, a, a valuable lesson from his time, Uh, working in Regal View. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: And the last twist we get is he's going to close the garage door and it slams on his nose and he turns around. Oh, my God, he's got a horse nose. (laughs) Uh, it, It cuts to, like, directed by Boots Riley. And we get one final scene after that which is Steve lift lounging in his like, like basement Whatever. sunroom <laughs> kind of like a downstairs sunroom. Uh, uh, and then there's just an emergency security arm, that, like alarm that goes off as he looks into the, the, the feed. Uh, it's cash and he's a horse now uh, an sapien, and he's like i'm from like regal view and i wanted to talk to you about blah 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 like some flipping shit basically uh-huh. kicks that door open and just like roars into it and we just have to assume steve liftgat was fucking coming to him <laughs> i assume he got <laughs> I mean, some horse cock yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, and, and that concludes it
3: yeah i was say, I, I love the the ending of the movie like the you know absurdist funny stuff at the end is great but like the the final scene of the film where you know cash is kind of content where he is and i think the movie is really fascinating from the standpoint of like most films that are criticizing aspects of society don't really provide answers to the problems they're just like this is wrong we all need to know that this is wrong, and it just kind of leaves you there. And I'm, I'm not criticizing that style of filmmaking. I think that is very valuable, but I think it's very interesting that Boots Riley is like, "Hey, you know, like, you know, what we can do? We can try to make some modest gains here and start moving in the right direction. Like, let's unionize our workplaces, like, get some power back uh, into the working class, and try to kind of rebuild, um, you know, society from from the ground up in, into a better place. And it's not like this transformational thing where we capture Steve lift and he goes to jail and, and there's like, you know, uh, the worry free people are freed and like, we're in this wonderful society. It's just like, no, we just got, we get made things a little bit better. And that's really all we can do, you know, is try to fight on the local level to make things better for working class people. And for, um, you know, it's, it's a very satisfying ending, I think, where you're like, you know what, there are these big problems in the world and, All we can do is what we can do. And we make little gains where we can and try to fight back against the rapacious corporate system a little bit.
1: Yeah. And there's also, I, I really enjoy a movie that has a through line of kind of forgiveness for lessons learned and redemption in it. And this is very much that kind of story of like, Cash, uh, completely abandons at one point, his friends and kind of isolates from them for his own individual gains and coming back to it. There's not a lot of, like, I told you so is from his friends about any of it. They, they, are hurt and they at least have like a hash out of what is going on and like what's important. And they try to refocus him and help him get over his frustrations. They're still like processing. There's even intimate scenes with Detroit that we didn't mention where they like kind of rekindle a bit of their relationship
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, and are having an honest heart to heart where Detroit's like, I just don't know if I can trust you yet, and so there's those opportunities, um, you know, for friends of yours that you feel might be too far gone or might have at one point been way out of your kind of range and your comfort zone of discussion. Um, there's there's moments where if they come back to you, like you just let them like lay out why they did that, uh, let them talk about it, give them the patience and the time that. Um, they hopefully would give you two uh, and don't be quick to assume that they did it out of maliciousness. There's just kind of a lot of information in the world that can overwhelm and misguide you. Yeah. Um, And we have a system as this whole movie talks about, it's kind of geared towards isolating you from other people and making you focus on what's important immediately to you in terms of monetary gains, in
2: terms of things that you can take on. Yeah. One thing that was weird, it, it caught me in the moment that I was watching and then Darla pointed it out afterwards too During the weird shit that's going on at Steve lifts and we're finding out about the horse people we cut back to uh, Detroit cleaning up her art exhibit and then she has this intimate moment with squeeze that as that was happening I was like we've moved to something else like that was such that's such a small concern now. It was kind of weird to me. It kind of called out, and then having like the the stakes of their relationship are not. Important yeah, it's like that's not what we just really learned. what we're here for anymore. Yeah. yeah, like we've moved to something beyond just the like. Oh, Cash has made it. Is that okay? What's our relationship? And uh, then we get the scene where he and Detroit get back together, and she even says like, "This can't happen. It was a mistake." And she mentions not specifically Squeeze, but that she was with someone else in that time. Uh, but she says like we're not a thing, like it's still not happening. This this was the mistake, mm-hmm. uh, and then they're back together like after that, and we get sort of like a squeeze, kind of like shrugging his shoulder, <laughs> sort of in one scene.
3: Yeah, he's kind of looking disappointed when they're of yeah. getting back together.
2: That brought nothing to the movie, I thought, and that those that scene sort of took away from where we're at. So it was one of those things where like I recognize it more this go around of like what all right. Like, what do we even need that for? I don't know. Yeah. I, I I do see what you're saying of like she, and I got that where it was like, well, she was with him and with Cash and she says Cash is, is real, he's yeah. a real person, all that kind of stuff. It's not that bougie fake shit. Yeah. And when he becomes that, she moves away from him and Squeeze seems to have that since he's raising these up. So there was like that, but it also was like, we knew that in like their relationship distancing without it being like, oh yeah, she's got somebody else now. Like, I don't know. That's her side squeeze. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I get it. Yeah.
3: I will say it does feel like the movie wraps up kind of quickly. It, yeah. You know, like we, it's an hour 50 or so. And we learn like we we leave Steve lifts house at like an hour 25, you know, and like kind yeah. everything wraps up in the last 20, 25 minutes of the movie. Um, I think like, I agree with you. I think that's a, a nitpick. And I like, I think the movie is, is great. And like, it does feel like maybe some things got cut toward the end that they, you know, maybe the studio wanted them to be under a certain time or yeah. they felt like some of the plot lines at the end maybe didn't work perfectly and were trimmed a little bit. But um, I think like the movie is so, so good in so many ways. I'm just like, yeah, I, I see that, but I don't really care. Yeah. That was
2: just the one thing where I was like, the movie concerned itself with something it moved past. <laughs> yeah, Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I have a story about that, actually, because I was talking to uh, a friend of a friend at one point. We went out for drinks, I think right around the time that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out in 2019. We went somewhere downtown, having drinks there and talking about film. And I was talking about how much I loved Sorry to Bother You, because came out the previous year. And he was like, oh, yeah, that movie um, it was OK, but I didn't like. I know a lot of people some, who didn't like this. Yeah, he was like, yeah. "But but I didn't like that it had some really like. Some aspects I just don't agree with, and I was like, "Okay, well, what are you talking about?" He was like, "Yeah, the fact that like Cash and Detroit get back together after she's clearly been with another dude—that doesn't sit well with me."
2: Oh my god! And that's that makes the movie
1: unrealistic <laughs> for me.
2: Okay, he said
1: verbatim, it <laughs> made
3: it unrealistic for him.
0: Wow!
1: And I was like, I just did. He don't... fall
3: asleep when the horse people happened. Did he
1: not? <laughs> that was yeah. the only problem he yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. had. <laughs> So, yeah, it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, this says a lot more about you than it does
0: about the movie, my friend. I'm (laughs) sorry.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, like, yeah, I, like, definitely get, they get back together and the the hard back and forth on a relationship, which is sort of, like, her kissing squeeze was just, like, one, like, it didn't change any of those scenes. Like, if you're, like, cutting stuff for time, Uh that could have been cut and you never would have noticed. True. Yeah, but it's also, like. 30 seconds (laughs) i will say
3: though that i um you know always love seeing seeing steven yoon on screen and he's oh yeah he's really i don't mind the 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 scenes it's just you're right it doesn't really necessarily add anything
1: yeah if anything it's just supposed to add like an extra layer of sugar on top at the end when you're like oh they're back together like he's showing they're both validating each other again in the harmonious way they were but yeah, again. squeeze gets so left I like, out. Okay, poor squeeze. <laughs> well, he's on to organize another union somewhere else. Probably, yeah, he's right? got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's doing the Lord's work. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, I think we've said all we can about this movie. Uh, I think
3: I have one one more comment. One more? I think um, when this movie came out, there was a lot of discourse online about this being a socialist film, and Boots Riley is a socialist, and so like I understand why people would look at it through that lens. I think the movie is fighting for such modest gains, right? Like unionization is so far from socialism. It's just like trying to slightly, very slightly reform the capitalist system that we have and like make it leak a little bit less than it already does, you know? And this isn't some radical statement that is trying to take down life as we know it in America and turn this into something else like it's it's very much a modest thing like hey here's a good step we can take to move in the right direction and try to close the wealth gap a little bit and turn things a little bit more in favor of everyday people Um, and I think like you know it's like envisioning the America of the 50s and 60s from a not obviously from a racial or gender standpoint, but from an economic standpoint. And uh, I, I think there was a lot of overreaction and discourse online about how this was some like radical, like communist film. And it's like, it's just absolutely not. It is, you know, pushing for what um, America has been for many years in, in its history to just kind of return to a state that's a little bit more fair toward, toward everyday working people.
2: I don't know. We need to put down that Upton Sinclair. He's just pushing <laughs> his anti-meatpacking. <laughs> oh
1: man. Um, well, uh, yeah. Would, would y'all recommend this movie? I would. What no. Ryan, would you? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. I have recommended it. Um, it's it's just very different. I think. Yeah. I don't. I think it probably snuck under the radar quite a bit, right? Mm. Like this is it's. Um, it's hard to advertise it. It's hard to kind of explain it. Yeah. How, and I, I
3: think once it actually came out, the people who did see it were so loud online about how oh my God, this is the weirdest so fucking weird, thing I've so ever different. seen. Like yeah. I think it turned a lot of people off from going to see yeah. it.
2: Yeah. And while it it is weird, it's different. There's a lot of visual style going on. It it's very in entertaining. It's very engaging like mm-hmm. through and through there the messages are there but it's also just watchable in this interesting way of just like how boots riley's like doing all these things in the background and these like weird transitions and like all that stuff is really really cool and unique and like i need more from boots riley oh absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah i want more i want more (laughs) um so yeah no i think it's like even if you're like well i don't know whatever another like it's yeah also I would say it's science fiction like that's one of the other things that's it's hard to yeah. like it's technically science fiction I'm real like pedantic about that but it doesn't seem like that on the outside until you get to the like oh yeah this is that post apocalyptic world kind of and yeah, and yeah future. and this sort of like how extreme we could take science in order to to do this with business um and I was like yeah I was like a good science fiction like looking through that lens at our world and what horror it could be so, yeah. yeah, no, I recommend it.
3: Yeah. I was just looking at Boots Riley's IMDB page to see what he's working on. And he has a TV series in the works that's supposed to be a comedy called I'm a Virgo. So I have no idea what that's about. Uh, but at least I'm glad to see that he's working on something. Yeah, well, okay. he's working
2: on music. He has a lot
3: of... Yeah. I mean, he's a really talented musician. You know, he's a, uh, a member of the band The Coop, and they did the soundtrack for uh, the movie as well. So he's, like, you know, very heavily involved in... The production of the film but um yeah i mean i would absolutely recommend this it's so much fun it's just uh, a hell of a ride from start to finish and it just gets it keeps upping the ante as it goes and i i think the movie is is fucking great and uh just really insightful in its critique of uh, our current late stage capitalism
1: yeah uh well there you have it everybody we would all recommend it uh And now we're going to take a break. What would make me stand out in a crowd? This is a question that humans have struggled with for centuries. From elaborate outfits to overwhelming body odors, we've strived to be someone, not just anyone. Now it's time for the next step in our journey of unique personal expression. Hi, I'm Dr. Chet Connors, ninth best plastic surgeon to the celebrities of Rochester, Virginia. Having mangled and unmangled a lot of skin in my day, I've done almost all there is to do when it comes to the world of beauty refinement. At least I thought I had. But then I discovered the world of interspecies grafting. I know what you're thinking. Interspecies grafting, isn't that just a fancy term for unethically stitching animal butts to people? Rest assured, my team and I ethically source all of our animal butts, freshly refrigerated from exotic hospice disposal facilities across the US. The corpse may be cold, but the new you is guaranteed to be hot, hot, hot. But, Dr. Chet, I hear you interject. I don't even know where to begin with what you're proposing. So, I should just get some animal parts stitched onto me? It all starts with your insecurities. We help you identify an appendage that others might feel is stupidly underwhelming and in need of compensation, and the rest is a natural progression toward a new you. Got a schnoz that's too tiny? Try our rhino rhinoplasty. Put a real horn on your honker with an authentic rhinoceros transplant. Turn heads at your next social event when you show up with a tall neck from a giraffe graft. We also offer discreet operations to spice up your love life with our most popular offerings being the Dugong Dong or Echidna Especial. If it lives on this earth, we can turn it into a to-die-for fixture on your person. All you need to do is look in the mirror and ask yourself one simple question. Do I want a horse cock? Or am I just determined to be unhappy? Yes, that even goes for you ladies out there, as we offer indiscriminate operation services for all. So you really have no excuse to abstain. Call us now at 555 Chet. That's Dr. Chet Connors in her species grafting clinic off of 4th and Montrose. And we're back with Recommender Refute. You know the rules. We go around the table, give you a movie that you should spend some time with, or, you know, we shoo you away from something you shouldn't be spending your time with. Uh, So I was the picker. I get to go first this time. Yay, me. Uh, (laughs) I just want to say, I know, I think Dixon on a previous, uh, podcast, you made an honorable mention to the scary of 61st or was that offline? I don't remember. Uh, I think I did mention that briefly
3: when I decided to just run through lists of everything I watch and bore everyone. But, um, yeah, I did, I did give a, I I mentioned that I watched it and I liked it, but had some issues with it. Um, so curious to, curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah. I, I watched it as well. Um, I honestly loved it. Uh, it's not my recommender refute this time though. I just wanted to give oh. give it that it's now two out of three. Ryan, you have to watch okay. The Scary oh, of sixty first okay. if You're we're going to talk me
3: about this. Uh, schlock Blue Balls. <laughs> yeah. to
2: I'm ready to hear your hot take. Well, on you this talked movie. about it. I wanted to. Well, yeah, we wanted to watch it. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: so I mean, I'm down to watch it again. I feel like I missed uh, so much because I was so fixated on <laughs> the lead actress's performance, which was fucking phenomenal. I'll watch I will it. Say, I'll watch it goes for I'll it.
2: make it happen.
3: I'll make it. I may happen. disagree <laughs> with you on that, but. <laughs> Dude, when
1: you're shooting guerrilla style and you're masturbating in front of a public building, you're going for it. And I have to say, I admire that. <laughs>
3: like, I mean, they definitely, they made some choices for they sure. Do, yeah. They, they definitely made some choices.
1: Um but yeah, I have to tip my hat to that. Uh anyways, wanted to give that a mention that yes, now we're two for 3. Uh Ryan's next. Yeah, I'll
3: catch <laughs> I'll get it. I'll get it in. Ryan will eventually do the recommend or refute on it. <laughs> um
1: the the movie that I do want to talk about that I want to recommend or refute, it's kind of a give me uh in terms of what I would say as a recommend uh, it's Paul Thomas Anderson's latest joint, uh, Licorice Pizza, which I've been trying for like months to watch this. I've, <laughs> literally, I'd buy like movie tickets and then somebody would ping me and be like, hey man, we have something I have to I have to go to that night. Can you do this for me? And I'd be like, oh, okay, fine, cancel my tickets. Just never got out to the theater to see it. And then it finally became available digitally. Uh, so I, I just went all in and bought it. I was like, whatever. I trust Paul Thomas Anderson enough. <laughs> see how I like it. And uh, it, it is one of, I mean, like, I don't know how to rank my Paul Thomas Anderson films anymore because I just kind of love all of them. And it's like picking between your children, but they're his children. So it's like <laughs> extra weird for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Licorice Pizza was was delightful. I found it to be very sweet. And at the same time, uh, kind of a great examination of like a coming of age story of a uh, a woman who's trying to figure out um, what kind of man she wants and is kind of actually being courted by a boy who seems more man than anybody else in the film mm. kind of comes off as. So uh, it, it's like the synopsis lays it out front of just like, oh, it's the story of, uh, of these two kids falling in love. It uh, doesn't really mention that whole like age gap difference uh, or any of the other bizarre and weird stuff. That Ten years. In their she's story. 25 and he's yeah. 15. Yeah. Um, which I think at that point I try to look up like what's the age of consent in California. So <laughs> that's a fun thing to have in your search yeah, for everybody. Somebody's looking at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm on a list. Uh, uh, <laughs> on
3: a different topic, John is going on a vacation to California next week. Dixon, <laughs> yeah. you weren't supposed
1: to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I would, uh, I would definitely recommend this one. I already recommended it to my parents. I'm kind of waiting to hear back what they think about it because uh, they do not trust my sensibilities when it comes
3: to recommending. Yeah. Are they to going them. to avoid it because you recommended it? Uh,
1: My dad, I I sold him from his perspective. He loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I sold it to him based on nostalgia and hey, Uh, it's the 60s and that. Yeah, you can sell it in a similar way. I sold him, yeah, on this, hey, it's a 70s period piece. It's kind of a cute romantic thing and it's got a killer soundtrack to it. And he was like, all right, I'll check it out. I'm like, all right, that's all I need. Uh, And I'll hear back from him whether he thought it was weird or not (laughs) soon (laughs) enough. Um, Showed it to Sasha and she absolutely enjoyed it. Immediately after she was like, Why did it feel like so familiar? I I kept thinking it was this indie film and that it didn't have like a powerful name behind it. And I was like, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. And she was like, what else has he done? And I was yeah. like, Excuse me? <laughs> and I like laid it out. And she was like, Oh, that's why I liked it so much. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah.
3: Um, Ever so, heard of a little film called there will be blood. <laughs> yeah,
1: there will be boogie nights. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So um, yeah, there will be it. punch drunk love. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the master thread. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it all blurs
1: together after a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so recommend it definitely um, to folks out there. It was part of the Academy Awards uh, nominees, too. So I'm sure there are plenty of people that are like, what is this licorice pizza thing? Anyhow, but hey, it's my two cents. So
3: It's right. interesting. I had kind of a mixed feelings on it. Like I ended up giving it a B and I like enjoyed most of it. And I thought the filmmaking was done very well, the set design and and everything they did to kind of make it a period piece and feel like early 70s LA, I thought, you know, came together really nicely. Um, The end of the movie bothered me a lot, and I don't know if we want to talk about that or put that on the table here. Maybe we can just say, hey, guys, brief spoiler alert here, but... Uh, like the movie ends with. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Okay. Don't, okay. Don't
1: Ryan, have you seen it yet? No,
2: but I, I, I don't care. Oh right, no. Fine. Okay. All right. No, I won't spoil it. No, no, say I don't care. The I get conclusion of stuff the film, right, Spoilers here. <laughs> the inclusion of the film felt
3: like it was. uh, Excusing. Yeah. Like endorsing? like a endorsing a. Uh, um, a relationship that I I felt like should not be endorsed and uh, was, you know, some would say illegal uh, and others would say uh, doomed to fail or ill advised. But it it felt to me like this is a very weird ending to be like, we're having this happy ending where they get together and it's all great. And I was just like, "Uh, what? Like (laughs) I'm getting kind of whiplash with the ending of this movie. Um, I felt like the way they set up that relationship, it has to fail. And he's subverting expectations with, that but I I just didn't I didn't really like it uh ending that way and I I didn't really know kind of what to make of it honestly
1: yeah um I had kind of the same concerns about whether or not it was endorsing it but considering a lot of the other narrative beats in the movie I felt like whether it endorsed it or not at the end it was more of this like through line conclusion to a search that was ongoing for somebody who wasn't sure what they wanted in their life Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: like finding kind of more faith in um, newer generation ideas and sort of like forethought rather than everybody that like uh, Alana's character tries to go with ends up being uh, older than her and is like, Damaged and stupid in some way, like they're completely determined and lost in their own world of their version of masculinity, Uh, and like she sees it kind of in the in the love interest of uh, uh, what is his name, Gary, Mm
3: -hmm. and Gary Valentine. Gary Valentine.
1: (laughs) Um, There's also like there's like a yeah, but in there too of uh, which is why I was doing that sketchy search for California's laws Uh because it's like at one point age of consent was sixteen. And Gary's like 15 and one month out from birthday and the time period of the movie happens over that kind of course. So there's sort of a bit of like narratively is he maturing and is that happening or how's this going? Yeah. So at a certain point I just threw my hands up and was like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, the rest of the movie was was kind of great in how it does a uh, like these will they won't theys And at the same time, weaving in all of these images of like what toxic masculinity looks like and what it looks like to build a healthy relationship with somebody mm-hmm. um, and actually understand each other. And so I was like, all right, I'm I'm fine with this. I'll, I'll live with it. Yeah, um, it, it still is something that like does bug me a little bit. But uh, I heard Paul Thomas Anderson just conceived this whole idea because he was listening to an actual 15 year old hit on somebody who was 25 (laughs) at like an event and he thought it was hilarious. (laughs) So he was like, I just want to write a story about how that might go. Um, And like, like it or not, that might be a realistic scenario. So it's like, okay, it just, yeah, I'm not going to do that shit. Uh, I could advise (laughs) other people to not do that shit, but for the movie, sure,
0: Hmm.
3: why not? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it was my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Like, I was, I was still a thumbs up on it, but I may be kind of uncomfortable, and I didn't think it was as polished or as insightful or, like, spiritual as some of his best work is. Like, There Will Be Blood and The Master and Punch Truck Love, I think, are kind of his top-tier stuff. Phantom Thread's really good, too. Um, and I felt like... Um, this movie felt like him kind of trying to figure something out to do during the pandemic. And like he definitely put a lot of work into it and made it like look really great and, you know, establishing this period piece in a way that felt really interesting, but it didn't feel like this inspired story like a lot of his movies do.
1: Yeah. I felt like it was, it was more having seen a number of coming of age stories, this is probably on the higher tier of like the ones that I really like in terms of maturing and trying to develop in your own way and find who you are. Um, I just enjoyed the character of Alana and also Alana Himes' performances. She's phenomenal, Yeah. Um, But also some of the ways that the scenes are shot and there's like a really good, Uh, at times the movie goes into like kind of lighthearted humor and other times it goes into like real tense shit. Mm. Um, and I thought that it kind of masterfully walks between those tones Well, at the same time. Yeah. Parts of it feel like a ramble or like, and I know it's also partially because Paul Thomas Anderson just wanted to write something for Alana too. He'd known her for a long time and kind of worked yeah, with her. Yeah, he's done stuff.
3: their music videos for, for Heim for a, a while.
1: Yeah. And so it's like, it's more of his like passion project to collaborate with her. And he's also been directing Cooper Hoffman since Cooper Hoffman was a child, since he and Philip Seymour Hoffman were good buds. Uh huh. Um, so it, it comes out with being way more personal, which is why I'm like, I don't really know if I want to stack it up next to his other works because those he's like trying to work through something else and doing something completely different. And here it's more like he just wants to celebrate the people he knows sure. um, with a story that's sentimental and heartfelt. Um, oh yeah. Anyways, that's that's our diatribe there, <laughs> digression. Um, uh, yeah, Ryan,
2: what do you got for yeah. us? It'll probably be like five or six years before I see that anyway, and I'll completely... Yeah. Spoil it. Yeah. Yeah, like I, get, I get stuff spoiled all the time. Once he's care, on an airplane and he's watched all of the I mean, shit every, that they have. Aquaman 5 spoiled. and yeah. Venom
1: colon, another one was made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: My dad texted me the other day and was like, "Hey, did you watch Venom?" Like he, he goes, he watched the first one. I was like, "Yeah, you know, it was all right." He was like, "I was surprised; it was better than I thought." It. And he was like, "I heard there was a sequel." And I was like, "Dad, no, <laughs> no." He grabbed him by the shoulders over yeah, the phone like, and you were like, "Get no. out! <laughs> Don't keep going! Um, Run, Charlie!" Yeah. Uh, uh, if you're fast forwarding past spoilers, you know, we're back to regular programming because I'm going to talk about weird anime. Uh, <laughs> I watched 1973. Drink. Yeah. I watched 1973's Belladonna of Sadness. Uh, and I've been on somewhat of a kick. Uh, we we watched some weird-ass uh, Ozuma Tezuka stuff.
1: Ryan's pointing to me, I'm pointing to John, yeah. <laughs> not talking about Dixon. Dixon, yeah. wants, Dixon. Dixon doesn't get into this weeb
2: shit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I do occasionally watch anime unprompted, but it doesn't happen very often.
2: <laughs> it's not the weird shit we've been watching. Uh, w- yeah, anyway, we, we watch some really weird crap. So Ozuma Tezuka and uh, Ichi... Yamamoto who's made Belladonna Sadness they were the guys that were behind Astro Boy which essentially makes them you know they're the grandfathers or fathers of anime Mm uh Astro Boy is what kicked off all of that um that's the big deal the big explosion and I think they had the thought that I hear all the time from people of like well aren't cartoons for kids and so they set out and made three adult movies uh this is like the middle one of it uh that are adult movies. Oh, they're like the Japanese
1: Ralph Bakshi. <laughs>
2: yes. These are absolutely the Japanese Ralph Bakshi movies. Um, and so, yeah, Belladonna of status. I watched them. I'm, I'm interested in, in, in working my way to the third one, Cleopatra, which involves people going back in time to Cleopatra's time okay. to stop aliens, but instead just have sex with Cleopatra. Dope. <laughs> yeah. They say it, they don't stop the aliens. Uh, yeah. They they forget about that entirely. Good for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this movie, I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to get into it or really explain it. It's one of those where I'm like, I'm not still entirely sure what happened. Um, It's set in like medieval times in France with a character named Joan. And uh, essentially like her, like she gets raped. She makes this deal with a demon that turns out to be the devil. But every time it's presented to her, it's like, it's a dick. (laughs) Like right straight on and uh, through her making deals, her husband and sometimes her get power, but then it usually like warps where the town turns against them or something else horrible happens and they get like beat down again or husband gets his hand cut off. Like he always resents her. Okay. And the whole time it's drawn very much like watercolor look. And a lot of it is not animated. It's, like, really well-drawn. Storyboards? Yeah, like watercolor. And it'll kind of, like, pan across them. Mm. And even, like, multiple things will happen. Like, it's, you know, kind of panning across a page where kind of multiple things move through it. Um, but I saw then, some
3: pictures on their IMDb page. It looks beautiful. It's
2: beautiful, but it's, like, not always animated, so it's a little weird. But then when it is animated, it's suddenly, like, super trippy. Like, it just hits the, like, trippiness factor all the way up. Uh, very sexually oriented. Like, it's, like constantly putting that in your face like this is trying its hardest to be adult themed uh and yeah it's just like kind of following her and her husband and the town through kind of this crap and her deals with the demon eventually kind of almost giving her powers that she has uh and it's just getting like worse and and more fucked up kind of as it goes and eventually the town turns on her and burns her at the stake. Jesus. And then it, and it, essentially implies that that releases, uh, evilness that causes the French revolution. So it's kind of in this like, Oh, okay. I guess she's a Joan hmm. of Arc. I don't know, but it was, yeah, it was so. Is he saying the French revolution is evil? <laughs> it, it, evil people because they killed other people, I guess. Yeah. It's, I don't it's, know. It's like a workers' it's revolt. It's the catalyst. It, <laughs> it <took> a, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a lot of deaths to get around to something that then not, wasn't that great either. And it took, it took a while, yeah. took a while, a lot of deaths to get to uh-huh. something. Um, so it's hard for me to, like, recommend or refute it. Right. It's it's like... This if, is what we're here for, Ryan. Yeah, I know. For you to right. recommend yeah. or refute Pro- it. Probably I would lean towards refute. Like, if you're like, oh, I want to watch a weird old anime. Uh, what was it? Bandager, 3,000 years in the future. or What <laughs> the fuck? Prime <laughs> Rose. Pr- Prime Rose, 3,000 years in the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the one to go to because uh, it's just fucking weird. Uh, this one, it's close to that if you're high it's entertaining level. It's right on that level. If you're high and want to get really horny, you're okay with that when you're high, then this one's like a, a, right, an A plus. Right. This is like exactly what you want. I'm
1: listening. Um,
2: but yeah, I was kind of like, and it also fits into a, just a weird time in like anime. Like it's trying to be something for adults, but it's kind of like trying too hard. Hmm. And it's not in that, like we mentioned Ralph Bashke. He says stuff. Yeah. with his right like you know fritz can be pretty out there but it's it it is it's scathing of a lot of things. yeah right it's you very know, much it's like a satire. tear down society kind of satire even just what it is throws in the face of animation uh like yeah so i'm like that says something that's an interesting watch and all of his work's actually pretty interesting i dig him uh this one like there's some interesting stuff that, that they've done but I, I, at this point having seen so much of this i'm like they make some great stuff like Space Battleship Yamato and Astro Boy and all that. Whenever they try to go for something like this, it's just weird. Yeah. And not the weird where I'm like, oh, this is cool and inventive. It's just more like, hmm. this is weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this one's pretty like, I don't know. It was kind of a slog to get through because it was just like, uh, all right, is being weird and sexual and it's like trippy, but not really doing anything. So yeah, I guess I'm kind of like a, a pass.
1: Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious because you, when you were talking about just the visual style, also the fact that it has something to do with the French Revolution. I guess, yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah. It, it reminded me of um, uh, Marcel Yankovic's uh, The Tragedy of Man. Marcel Yankovic is the the creative director and uh, artist behind um, Son of the White Mare. Hell yeah. Um, which is a fantastic right. Hungarian 1980s animated piece, but The Tragedy of Man is his, like, kind of passion project that took like 23 years and survived the fall of communism in Hungary.
3: I still need to Uh, watch that.
1: And it has very much that same kind of style of like, not really watercolor, but they do like still frame to kind of pace out how much animation they have to do. But the movie itself, like, switches animation style every 10 to 15 minutes to a different kind of interpretation of a cultural style. So they go from, like, Egyptian hieroglyphs to, you know, Roman etchings and then to, like, Crosshatch and all this other stuff. It's really fascinating and beautiful movie to watch. It also has moments where it kind of feels like it's dragging, but overall, like... I'm kind of curious if you ever get a chance to watch it. It's going to be like seven, eight years. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> what you'll think then, and you get to come back here and listen and be like, oh yeah, that other movie was fucking oh, yeah, weird yeah. too. <laughs> once all
3: Ryan's kids are out
2: of the house, he's going to oh, watch all, all these so movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, once they're watching Yes Day in their dorm
1: rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, and then, like I will say though, yeah, the, it was interesting. It was interesting techniques. It's, it's very different because it, while it's anime, there's none of, like, the classic trappings. It doesn't look like it. The uh. color is much more muted. Uh, there's no giant round eyes. Like, it's it, it, definitely they were going for a style that wasn't their normal style. Um, and I guess they hit that. But, yeah, just not enough that was compelling on its own.
3: Honestly, from what you've told me, it makes me want to watch it. Like, I seeing the the stills on imdb that were so beautifully drawn and you being like it was weird and i'm not really sure what happened i'm like oh that sounds yeah. great yeah and it was like an hour 26 or yeah, something i guess like, that's fun it's like real a, short yeah. it's, a,
2: it's one of those things where it's like it's on tubi it's on prime like it's one of those it's really easy to find yeah yeah i've um, never heard of it yeah so i don't know i'll let you know uh on the others <laughs> as i get through those like the more the more i watch of these it's interesting they're really fucking weird stuff that's out there that's from these prolific directors, they just have done everything mm-hmm. under the sun.
3: Interesting, cool. Um, so, uh, like John, I'm also going to do a brief uh shout out to a weird movie that is wonderful that I love that I saw at AFS over the weekend for the like fourth or fifth time, which was uh, Mulholland Drive. And I fucking love David Lynch uh-huh. and I love that movie. And that's a movie that's just so fucking weird, but you just are <laughs> gripped by it because it's so weird. Like, oh, fuck, I can't look away. Like, something is wrong in, like, every scene. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I have to keep looking at it. And um, it's also a lot of fun. It's actually – it's a hilarious movie, and you kind of forget about that when you think back on it. But it's really fucking funny, and highly recommend everybody go check that out. But um, the movie I wanted to talk about is a new movie, uh, a horror film from A24 – starring Kid Cudi, and uh, I was like, "Well, I'm going to go see that. Like, It's A24 horror. I love Kid Cudi. I'm going to go go check it out. It's called X, just the letter X. Oh, yeah, I saw, yeah. I saw Why colors. is it called X? I don't fucking know. Um,
1: <laughs> X-rated, that's why. Uh, yeah, maybe.
3: Uh, also, yeah, it, well, maybe there's a reason. It's not a good one, but uh, the movie is not good, I don't think. It's actually getting pretty good reviews. It's got a 79 on, on Metacritic. I talked to a friend who saw it who liked it, I didn't like it. It's uh, mm. written, directed by
2: T-West.
3: His name is spelled T-I, uh, T-West, T-I-West, something like that. Um, the I is not capitalized, so it's not T-I. But <laughs> uh, It is supposed to be kind of an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's set in 1979 in rural Texas, and this group of friends uh, led by this, like, early 40s guy who wants to make a porno and he thinks with the direct-to-video to market you can really capitalize on on this and you know bring porn out of creepy theaters direct into people's homes so feel less ashamed about it we can make a bunch of money if we make a direct-to-video to porno this guy's like 42 and real creepy and he's dating this like 20 year old played by Mia Goth who he wants to make into a star and uh, he doesn't really know anything about movies. He just wants to kind of, like, organize it and get it made. Kid Cudi is the male porn star who, who fucks all the women in, in the movie they make. Um, and then they have a director character who's, like, this nerdy kid out of film school who thinks that he can, like, you can actually make a good, dirty movie. And he wants to be, like, the Hitchcock of dirty movies. Oh, he's,
1: he's Burt Reynolds <laughs> from Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Kind of, but like way more earnest. Um, <laughs> he's convinced that he can make a masterpiece out of a, a pornography. And uh, so they go on a road trip and they go to this. Uh, they rent this like guest house at a big farm in rural Texas. And there's this ancient couple living there, like very, very old. Like you, there's clearly extra old people makeup on the already <laughs> old people to make them look like they're decaying in front of you. Um but it's just a husband and wife that live there. And, uh, you know, they meet the, the husband and they go. The producer guy goes and knocks on the door and he's greeted with a, a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, man, hey, we talked on the phone. Like, I'm here to reserve your, your you know, stay in your, your guest house. And guy's like, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, you know, this, this thing isn't even loaded. I just keep it around to fuck with people. And <laughs> then he, like, you know, shows them into the, the place and they see his wife they're like staring down from a window, looking very old and decrepit and uh, confused. And so they're just like, well, that was weird, whatever, we're just gonna start shooting this porno. And they start shooting the scenes in this house. And they're like, well, they don't they don't know we're doing this, do we? And the guy was like, No, and we're gonna keep it that way. Like, they'd have a heart attack if they knew what was going on over here. And uh, I'm just gonna spoil the shit out of this movie if you guys don't mind. Yeah, Um, sure, we'll we'll allow it. Yeah. (laughs) So it's an A24 horror film. I was like, oh, great! Like I'm I'm hoping for something like Hereditary or something that like actually Uh, elevates the genre. That's about something interesting, and it just devolves into a really stupid slasher film. Like they Hmm. do all this setup to make you think, oh, what's going on with this? old couple, this kind of creepy setup. And they do a good job of kind of getting through the first half and kind of staging these things. And then from there it just turns into a slasher film over the course of that night where the old woman is just horny as fuck and her husband won't fuck her because he thinks he'll have a heart attack. And he's like (laughs) I'd love to, baby, but my heart can't take it. And she's so sad about that and so horny that she keeps trying to seduce the men in the group or or anyone really the women in the group too, to fuck her and everyone's freaked out understandably and doesn't want to do that and so then she just like stabs them in the heart and like (laughs) just kind of picking them off one by one trying to fuck them and when they don't want to do that killing them and you know nobody in the group catches on because they're all idiots you know it's a slasher Mm, film everybody has to be stupid and to not really understand what's happening um and it's just like it turns into a really dumb slasher film for the second half where the kills weren't that interesting. The character motivations were stupid. And like the villains weren't scary, really, because, you know, who they are and what their deal is. And so it's not this thing where it's like, oh, it's this scary creature like a a. Freddie, or a Jason or a, a Mike Myers or something that is like, you know, I don't know what his motivation is and he's scary. It's like, you understand they show you scenes with just the husband and wife talking about what's going on. And it's just not, it's not very creepy. It's not interesting. You didn't really have anything to say. I thought there was some sort of, I feel like they were trying to do something about aging and regret and kind of the, old being jealous of the young and the young not understanding what they have, but it really didn't get into any of that in any sort of meaningful way. Um, and I was pretty bored with it by, by the end. Um, and I was pretty at, disappointed. Was like, A 24 uh, doesn't always hit, yeah, but their success rate is so high that you, I just expect everything that they put out to be really good. And so I went in with pretty high expectations and then was, was pretty disappointed with
1: I it. I mean, it sounds to me like, uh, very much like a send-up of Grindhouse. Yeah. Just another kind of, yeah, um, Grindhouse homage which I guess, even from the trailers, yeah, the entire time that you were like, I just expected there to be something smarter. I watched those trailers. I knew uh, exactly what this film <laughs> was going to be when I watched it. I was like, I highly doubt, even though it's A24, that there's going to be yeah. an intelligent subversion of what's supposed to happen. And then I, Yeah, see, because be it was indulgence. A24, I
3: was like, surely this will act like it's a horny slasher film, but turn into something bigger than that. And it just never did. Mm. And the longer it went on and I realized it wasn't going to do that, I just... just increasingly bored with all of the kill. The second half of the movie is just this person gets killed and then this person gets killed and we're going to find dumb reasons to pull them out from the group and have right. the old lady or the old man single them out and be able to kill them. And it was just like, ah, this
2: is just Interesting. This heard, is dumb. I, yeah. I heard a lot of good things. So I was kind of interested. I'm still going to watch it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds I, like something I
3: know you different... guys like slasher films more than I do. So yeah. you guys might enjoy it more. And like, people seem to be liking it. Like it's got good reviews. So I don't, you know, it didn't do it for me, but if, if slasher films are your thing, maybe, maybe you like it. Like I said, my friend liked it and he has pretty good movie tastes. And so, um, you know, don't, don't let my review dissuade you. If you think that sounds like something you'd be into, but, um, uh, I was pretty disappointed.
1: Sounds like something I would get from vinegar syndrome.
2: And yeah, you wouldn't even know the difference. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll, uh, I'll stick to my yeah. old people and sex and it follows. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: that's yeah. Old people need love too, everybody.
2: <laughs> they do. They <laughs> do. Just
1: remember that. Mm. Also, uh the the population spots with the density, the most density of STDs happen to be retirement homes, everybody. That's a true fact.
0: <laughs> Just wanted
1: you to know that. Old people are very horny all the time.
3: <laughs> Raw dogging, baby.
1: <laughs> they got nothing to lose. Yeah, I was <laughs> Except their dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, God. Okay. So we have, we have basically, I've recommended licorice pizza, and we have uh, two refutes. One from Ryan that is a little wishy washy on the, <laughs> on it was, weird. I gave it the old Belladonna John. sadness. Yeah. Now you understand my plight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and then we, we have a refute from Dixon, but don't let it dissuade you if, if uh, X sounds interesting to you.
3: Yeah, if you uh, like slasher films, maybe, maybe you'll like it. Hmm.
1: Maybe you'll like seeing a grindhouse-esque yeah. kind of send-up from it A24. Is,
3: it is not Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's, it, it's
2: not even close. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well How about that, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake? Uh, it's a uh, bit, I haven't seen any of little remakes, bit. It's probably better than that. Uh, that's on be, Netflix, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good thing my subscription
1: ran out. <laughs> 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 I don't want to have to be faced with the choice of do I or do I watch that. Uh, well, there you have it, everybody. And that's been, that kind of wraps things up for us at the Underground Table. Um, I have been your host, John Garcia, with me as always.
3: Ryan King. And... Michael Dixon, thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Sorry to bother you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Knights of the Underground Table. That's night as in the opposite of day, not British douchebags with swords. We've reached that time in the episode where we beg you to interact with us online because we are profoundly lonely people. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at N-O-T-U-T pod. Check out the Knights of the Underground Table Facebook page. Is there a movie you'd like us to review? email us at table at gmail.com Did you disagree with John's asinine hot takes in this episode? Leave us a voicemail on Anchor and tell him just where he can shove his awful opinions. We'll play it on the podcast. Check out the episode description for more details. Subscribe to the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever the hell you podcast. Rate and review us on the platform of your choice. But only if you like what you hear. If you don't like the podcast, Rather than leaving a negative review, please kindly go find Find
1: another podcast.
0: And thanks again for listening.